Hi, and welcome to Riddles in the Dark. Today is the final episode of Season 2. As we end our long anticipation of The Hobbit, Desolation of Smaug, uh, we are now just a few days away from the official release of the film, and I'm only a few hours away from actually seeing it myself. Uh, And uh, we are happy to uh, be with you here today. So I am Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and I am joined today by Trish and by Laura Burkholz. And as you can tell from the fact that I am doing the introduction and not Dave, Dave cannot be with us today because he uh, is uh, enslaved in an orc camp, unfortunately. But we (laughs) hope that he will be liberated by the end of the week. Um, uh, we hear that the Rohirrim are gaining on them and should should have them girded in very soon uh, before they reach the edges of Fangorn Forest. So um, we have high hopes for Dave. Uh, anyway, but so for today, it's the three of us. And as, as, uh, as I mentioned, um, it's uh, currently Monday and I am going to see an advanced screening of the uh, film tonight. So uh, uh, Trish and Laura wanted to make sure that we get in and record this session before I saw the film so that I could still talk about Absolutely. it. I wouldn't have, have to try to yeah. censor myself. Um, I mean, because I could just see, you know, I could just see after you've seen the movie and Laura and, and if Dave was with us, we'd be talking, we'd be going, so we think this, and Corey would be going, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just be, I would mm-hmm. be stoically, stonily <laughs> silent. Yes, That's exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, so yeah, so so here we are, and actually, it turns out it's a it's a good. Th- I mean, I did debate with myself. I was considering maybe I should wait until Mythmoot to see it for the first time this year, but I'm really glad I didn't and went ahead and got the ticket for the advanced screening because it turns out yesterday I was contacted by the Wall Street Journal who wants me to write an article on it. Um, awesome. For that's awesome. Great. So I'm going to be writing. So, they, did, you did that for them last year. Too, I did. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a, it was a, it was a follow up to that that they want me to do. They want me to, yeah. and it, it, oh, it, it's not a review, which is good because I'm not a film critic and wouldn't want to write a review. But it, it's it's basically it's they they want me to write an article, uh, you know, comparing the book and the film and talking about right. the relationship hmm. between them. So. Um, I can't think of a better person to do it. That's great. And they, and they, and then they want it by like Wednesday. So it's a good thing that I'm going to see the film tonight. So. <laughs> well, and frankly, you know, somebody, somebody, when you when you said on your Tolkien professor page that you were going to be seeing it, somebody's like, "Oh no, I want to see it." With I, I actually think that it's we'll we'll get more out of it at Myth Mood if you've had time to to cogitate. Yeah, um, yeah. I. I, I mean, yeah. like, my spontaneous reactions are fun, uh, but my reactions to, like, the second time through that I've seen it are far right. more likely to be coherent, so... And, and um, useful to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. So, yeah. so, yeah, so I think that's a great thing. I just am envious. I'd love to be going as well to see it early. I mean, I, you know, I last year I saw it, my at Mythmood, it was my third time. I saw it twice the day before. Right. And, um... I don't know that I would do that again, but I think, you know, seeing it before Mythmoot and then seeing it a second time would be good because there's like, you know, there's details you missed the first time through. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, no, that should be fun. And I last time I saw the midnight showing as well before, so it was also the third time for me at Mythmoot. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to do, definitely, like, driving from New Hampshire to Baltimore on Friday, I'm definitely not going to be <laughs> seeing the midnight yeah. showing the night before. Uh, but, uh, so it, it will just be my second time when I see it at Mythmoot, but. Yeah, and I, it'll be my first time. I'm flying in, so I'm cool. not going to have a chance. Oh, that's right, because you're flying. Yeah, you're getting in kind of late on Friday, aren't you? 
Yep. <sighs> Sorry, we're talking to all the people that are, you know, there's a bunch of people on here that aren't going to be at Myth Moot, so we should probably not be talking yes, too much about Myth yes. In your face. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. True. We should be discreet about oh, that. Oh, so. I will say, I, I, I should probably say this on the, on the, on the main podcast too, but um, um, we did, we have release the form you know for those of you that have been on the facebook riddles in the dark predictions page you'll know that about midway through the year facebook changed its polling feature on the page and it made it so that it was just ridiculous i mean i had to use like a third-party app and it was asking people for their you know all of their you know all that information stuff and it was just not working and so what i've done instead is put together um all the riddles which basically we'll be using today the form we'll be using today you'll see it on uh on the on the screen um and it's up on the Mythgard page there's actually a, a post on the Mythgard site with a uh, connection with a link to the word document and so what people need to do is fill that out and send it to me all the instructions are on the Mythgard site post and i've been getting a steady stream so we're getting a lot of people submitting and so those will, that'll be the official entry form for the riddles in the dark to outguest Corey on on all of our riddles and conundrum so that's right. That's and, uh, right. and of course, our uh, our uh, uh, deadline will be, you know, like Thursday sometime. I don't even know if I want to do midnight. Uh, anyway, so, you know, they, needs to, they all need to be in before the movie comes out. So Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, yeah. So, yeah, Yana asked that. Uh, Yana asked that. Yana, I, you're, you, Yana, you need to see, you need to have an earlier deadline because you're going to be seeing it early. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. Yana, I'll count on you to send me your form, you know, before you see the movie. Okay. Yes, I know I can trust you. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so good. Yeah. So definitely, everybody should uh, submit their official forms so that we can we can do our scoring and uh, uh, and see see who comes out on top this year. Um, that was uh, that was definitely a lot of fun last year. Uh, I'm looking forward to that again. <laughs> today, what we're going to be doing is is we're doing our year in review today. Um, so we're going to be going back there. You know, many of the riddles and you know issues that we brought up way back in January and February that we haven't talked about in a really long time. And so we just want to kind of do a do it do an overview. Some of these riddles, you know, have already been answered or pretty close to answered uh, in the trailers and things that we've seen. But uh, anyway, so we will we're, we're just going to kind of go back over and make sure that we have all of these things fresh in our minds as we prepare to see the film uh, on this weekend. So um, we need, we're going to start today with a couple um, riddles that we carried over from last year. Remember that, of course, originally the three films were going to be two films and it was only about halfway through the year last year in 2012 that it was officially announced that they was going to split into three films. Um, so we had already made a whole bunch of riddles prior to that announcement um, and therefore presupposing more coverage in film one uh, than it was going to be. So there were several of our riddles which turned out not to be answered at all uh, in film one and which we kind of held over to this year um, and which I've almost entirely forgotten about. So we're going to start with a review of those holdover riddles uh, and see where we stand on those now. And actually, you know, given that we had, I think, what, like 21 riddles last year, it's pretty amazing that only three of them ended up getting uh, yes. moved over. So that's, that's not a bad, given that we had this, cha- you know, changing horses into three horses in the middle of the right, year. Right, exactly. I mean, okay, so, good. yeah, I mean, I, it's great. So um, the first one is from the very early days of the first year podcast, and there's only three answers. How will Thorin end up in the, El- in the Elven King's dungeon? A, just as in the book, he will be taken by the elves prior to the spider conflict. 
B, he will be captured with the rest of them after the spider fight. They won't be separated or seen, neither of the above. This one, we don't, I mean, it's answered, right? I, I yeah. think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, of yeah. course, you know, as we've, you know, we, we always have to remind ourselves of the, um, of the potential misleadingness of trailers. <laughs> you know, I mean, we have seen two images uh, that I recall that are relevant to this in trailers. We have seen the image of Legolas with the pop-up slide drawing his bow on Thorin, standing with the rest of them covered with cobwebs. And then we have seen Thorin still, it seems, covered with cobwebs, standing with the rest of the dwarves in front of the throne of the Elven King. Those two and also, things... I think, sitting sitting in the group, because we've seen, you know, like they're all sitting with their... All, they're still already wound up with spider stuff with cobwebs, and I think we actually have seen him sitting in that, you know, sitting with all the other dwarfs in that picture. Right, right. So I mean, these things put together do suggest that he's going to be captured with them. Uh, so you know, so I think it seems relatively safe. Yeah. Uh, but still, you know, so. let's <laughs> let's but, you know, I uh, you know. <clears throat> Officially, we shall. So we still, we there's shall. still a five percent chance. There still is a five percent chance. But you know, this this was this this question, and it, I mean, how you know I, how this is going to happen is still going to be to me interesting. And the thing that I would sort of remind people of, um, especially with riddles that have been answered, I urge uh, everybody not to just sort of like kind of dismiss them and stop thinking about them because remember the important things about the riddles about all of the riddles is not just the specific question itself but the larger issue of the story and what that issue means for the story all of our riddles are things that we have fixed on because we think that there's something really interesting some interesting question in the adaptation of the story at that point this issue as i recall talking about it like a year and a half ago was basically how they're going to handle two issues. First, the heroism, the emerging heroism and leadership of Bilbo. And secondly, the character of Thorin. And the biggest question that was in my mind when we did that riddle was, um, are they going to have Thorin absent during the spider fight? Because, of course, he is absent. He's, you know, Thorin is never captured by spiders in the book. He's just taken directly Mm -hmm. to the elves. And I remember thinking, you know, imagining how they're going to do the spider capture and the spider escape. And it's not hard to imagine. It wasn't then and remains now not difficult to imagine that the escape from the spiders was going to be probably a more exciting action sequence than in the book. It's already an exciting action sequence in the book, right? We get, um, you know, Bilbo's fighting with them and then the fighting retreat by the dwarves and Bilbo coming in invisibly from the side and, uh, you know, taking off his ring and then coming in from the side and attacking them. You know, so it's, it's already an action sequence in the book. Therefore, we were all imagining that it would be an even more exciting action sequence in the film. And the question was, is Thorne just going to be totally absent from that? You know, aren't they going to, with the direction in which they seem to be wanting to push Thorne's character, and this was when we still had very little information, but it still seemed he was going to be, you know, from a leadership perspective, are they going to have him just totally miss out on all of that? Um, 
and what are going to be the implications for the way that the rescue is handled. And of course, with the involvement of the elves uh, in the rescuing, and we'll get back to this later because this is one of our season two riddles um, that, you know, raises some more questions. So I'll, I'll save mm-hmm. that part of the questions until then. But I said it was mostly about Thorin and Bilbo and the way that they Re, that, that they act, and especially the way they interact with the rest of the dwarves, with with whether or not they're going to actually have Bilbo in some sense um, taking Thorin's place, as he does briefly when Thorin is missing, um, uh, yeah. and uh, and all that. Well, well, I, I remember have... that from from year one. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, one thing they did change is that Bilbo has already kind of had his moment of heroism yes early you know at the end of movie one and that's a lot earlier than it happens in the book so so the turning point for bilbo has kind of already happened in the movies whereas we don't have to wait right the spider sequence like we did in the book absolutely i mean and that's one of the main things that i was thinking after watching film one and seeing that closing sequence is that yeah laura exactly that sequence of him coming to Thorin's rescue against the, the the orcs and wargs was clearly, in my mind, the sort of character equivalent of his rescue from the spiders. Which, of course, then just raises the questions. Okay, so what what's going to be happening with the with the spiders? Because see, there's, there, is still, there is still a lot of room. He's not, at the end of film one, in all ways in exactly the same position as he is after the spider rescue in the book. As far as his own, you know, heroism his own action sequences go he is but not as far as his relationship with the dwarves is concerned his act of heroism at the end of film one got him acceptance into the group like he's now officially a part you know thorin had still been saying quite recently in film one that he doesn't have any place there now he has a place there now he's accepted and he's had a an emotional man hug with thorin at the end and that's and that's that's excellent but he certainly has not ascended to a leadership role it's not like the rest of the dwarves are looking to him yet to lead them as they are as they are in in the book um, at that point, at the end of chapter eight, so I do think that that's going to be an interesting. Um, I do think that that's going to be an interesting question. Um, of well, here's, how that here's something that I found interesting, and I don't know if anybody has had a chance to watch the director's commentary on on the extended edition of of, uh, of an unexpected journey. But Philippa Boyens actually did address this. She specifically acknowledged that you know Bilbo's hero moment does come with the spiders. And that they, you know, felt they couldn't wait until film two, you know, for that to happen. And I am not sure, you know, I almost need to watch it again to get this, but I almost got the impression that the that the fight with the wargs, wargs and the orcs that Bilbo does at the end of film one was a was a pickup, was a addition huh. to film one to create that hero right. moment, early, you know, in film one. So it'd be interesting. I mean, I, I again, I'm maybe not recalling that properly but i think that's the case i mean they still had the fir trees and the pine cones and stuff but if you watch the movie the bits where thorin and 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 azog and, and bilbo decides to take on the works that's those are different scenes you know there's not anybody else really in those scenes and yeah. um yeah she basically said we couldn't make people wait until the second right. movie for him right. to have his hero right. moment you know that makes all kinds of sense and you know this is something that we haven't actually talked about all that much um, which is the amount of work 
of, uh, you know, that is required for them to make that transition midstream from two films to three films. That's a massive narrative change um, in these movies. And so it's certainly unsurprising that changes like that need to happen. Um, I mean, if you think about that's actually one of the things that I'm going to be really paying attention to when I watch the second film is to be looking at kind of the remnants of the narrative arc, thinking about, because assuming as, as you know, from everything, all the information we had, it looked like the barrel ride was going to be the culmination of film one right. originally. And they did was, acknowledge that that was going to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be really interested to watch the build up to the barrel ride and, and basically to kind of stop there and think back. And obviously they, they've, they've added and changed things. So it's not going to be simply that like we could cut the film there, have everything that has been shown and that would have been film one. And it's obviously different now, but still just thinking in, in general terms as a narrative arc, what they had been planning and thinking, I think will probably right. still be visible. Um, and right. uh, and how that, especially with questions like this, as you say, because now notice um, if Boyens is thinking also of the spider sequence as, you know, a major moment for Bilbo's heroism, if that had been in film one originally the moment in which he was going to emerge in that way, as in the book, it's not the culmination, right? We get Bilbo's emergence at the very right. climax of film one. Um, where were they going to be going with that? You know, clearly we're going to get past, right. you know, were they going to take Bilbo into um, sort of post-heroism mode, which is almost what happens in the book? Anyway, it's, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's going to be very interesting um, to see where they were originally going to land uh, Bilbo, where they were going to end up with his character, with Thorin's character, and with the relationship between Thorin and Bilbo. By the way, Daniel Helen has um, has uh, corroborated that, yeah, they had a two-week pickup at the end of the initial shoot to film the new ending, which, by the way, also included the hug on the Carrick. Right. So that apparently was not going to be part of, you know, the two-film mm. uh, deal. So they really did, you know, re- kind of redo that whole ending of the first film. Um, and I, I, I do want to, again, give a shout-out to Boyance. You know, she did refer to a lot – I mean, I had to laugh. It was like – was she listening to our to our <laughs> podcast last year? Because I mean, she she made reference to the talking purse. She made reference to the fact, you know, the, to the absence of tra la la lolly, and, yeah. and in her, you know, in her opinion, Tolkien had not intended, you know, as the story unfolded later into Lord of the Rings, that was like out of character for the elves, as as Tolkien eventually really had characterized them, and also the fact that um, having Gandalf the Grey use ventriloquism was seemed demeaning, you know, given his stature as a wizard. So they, they chose not to do that, you know. So, I mean, it's like she really did explain a lot of the points that we brought up yeah. last year yep. and, you know, acknowledged that they considered it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, no. Anyway, I, so, yeah, so this... I was going to say, she, she this, clearly you know, does know her stuff. And uh, and, sure and, does, and yeah. the fact is, you know, the, the things, you know, the fact that they're thinking about the same stuff that we were thinking about is clear. I mean, like, that's what... Uh, you know, when you're approaching the adaptation question, I mean, these these are the questions, you know, for, you know, thoughtful people to think of, you know, I mean, it's, right. it's, right. Um, um, right. so yeah, it's, 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 but I'm, 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 I'm glad to, I, I have not yet watched the director's commentary. I am, it is on my list and I'm really looking forward it. to it. I think you'll really um, the other thing yeah. that I thought was really interesting that she said was, um, and I'll and I'll stop with this one because I'm sure there's loads of other things I could bring up. But she talked about the riddles in the dark sequence with you know Martin and 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 uh, um, Andy, and she said that she and Fran originally wrote that scene to to track almost completely with the book. 
mm-hmm. you know, where you didn't have Smeagol and, and, and Gollum, you just had Gollum. And she said it just didn't, there was something missing. It just didn't play well on screen. You know, it just was something was flat mm-hmm. in it. Right. And when they added sort of the, you know, the, the Smeagol Gollum thing in, that it made it work you know, on screen. And I thought, you know, that's probably true. I mean, I could see that. And I mean, Corey, you said that many times that what plays in the book, you know, doesn't necessarily transition well to the screen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much of what goes, I mean, you think about, you know, when you read the riddles in the dark uh, chapter in particular, I mean, really all of it. I mean, this is something Dave and I've been talking about from the beginning. I mean, the thing you have to remember when you're adapting to, 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 to the screen, when you're adapting to a visual medium is you can't have, you can't give the audience access the, you know, anything like the kind of access to the right. internal states of the minds of the characters and read the riddles in the dark chapter and see how much of it focuses on what's going on in Bilbo's mind and what's going on in Gollum's mind. Um, and, you know, like what's background history and stuff that's, I mean, so very little. I think that anybody, if you just take what's there in chapter five and faithfully translate every spoken word and outward action and write it out as a screenplay, it would be pretty skimpy because there's not, because so much of the heart of what's there is telling us, you know, telling us background, telling us what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And, you know, that's, you can't do that. You can't just do that on a film. It's one of the fundamental I mean, things Freeman that makes a book. Martin Freeman has an amazing face, but there's just, there's yeah. even a limit to how much Martin Freeman can do. Exactly. And, exactly. and, you know, Andy Serkis, you know, you can yeah. really see what he's thinking a lot of times, too, as Gollum. Exactly. Right, Great right. actors can do this. I mean, I, it's clearly, it's in my mind, the culmination of, you know, the climax of that was the was the 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 non-stabbing of Gollum scene? You know the the leap in the dark, oh, yeah. the facial yeah. acting. You know the the way that they conveyed a, a pretty complex on both sides, a pretty complex series of emotional states without words, was really powerful and well done. But it's still less than you can do in a book. You know you can't. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. spell it out. You can't spell it out. You can't. You. I mean, there's so much yeah. that you can't draw attention to explicitly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, of course, Diego says it's also dark and you can't have a black screen for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, th- these are just the things, uh, w- some of the things that really make, um, that really make the whole, and it's one of the reasons why, by the way, um, when you have a film, which is much more letter to letter faithful to a book, um, it's often not a very good movie because what you get then is right. exactly that kind of flat clipped. Let's accelerate things. You know, basically we're going to cut out all of the description. We're going to, you know, the narrative description, we're going to cut out all of the, the, you know, the, the internal stuff and, but we'll keep the dialogue and, you know, the action and we'll just <laughs> do it. And what do you get? You get something that's much flatter and much less interesting than the book because it's just it's trying to do on screen, but which you can't do. So you've got to you've got to find different ways. Um, that's right to do that, and there are different right. priorities. And it's just you know it's something it's 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 you know you have to think this kind of translation is at least as challenging as translating from prose to poetry. You know. Um, 
translating one work from like a work even even from a work of poetry in one language to prose into doing a prose translation in another language and um it's uh it's it's just i mean you can do it and you can even produce something which is itself really good but you're not going to be able just to do it you know word by word and line by line certainly right. not in making yeah. it good okay. um we well, we're going to have to tra- uh, transcribe this uh that what you just said so you'll have some material for your wall street journal article <laughs> yeah. there you go yeah yeah uh, i'm not gonna have too much space so i i, I gotta i gotta i gotta restrain myself a little bit from being too uh too you know theoretical but um now i do want to go on the record as saying i still think the answer would have been b even if this had even if we'd stayed with two movies and even if this had been uh, bilbo's you know hero moment i still think they would have kept thorn with the dwarves the reason being just what you and Dave talked about in that particular episode was the pacing and how do you separate, you know, how do you take the time to separate them and how do you reunite them and what would be the point in the movie? You know, how would that move the story along? And I, you know, I agree. I think you guys said back then even that it made more sense for him to stay with. Yeah. Yeah. Though the one argument I could see for it, um, and it seems a little silly to spell out in huge detail arguments for what we're pretty sure didn't happen, but um, I, (laughs) The the one argument I could see for it is having a solo confrontation between Thorin and the Elven King, um, and w- introducing more suspense, oh, yeah, right. That's true. Um, and even elevating Bilbo's role more in finding Thorin and reconnecting Thorin with the rest of them. Because then you get not only can Bilbo get them all out of prison, but can Bilbo save Thorin, you know, individually. Right. Uh, as he is like in a higher security, uh, you know, cell in a different part of the dungeon or whatever. Um, so uh, behind a force field, exactly right, right. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, so I, 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 I could see that happen, but you know, whatever. I, I, um, um, I, I, I think it'll be fine but we'll, we'll come back to that later anyway we're we're not yeah we're not okay. uh, well i'll move on to the yeah, next we're not question. keeping a very good pace so far no we're not but that's okay <laughs> i'm sure our listeners don't mind um the um um i mean cory soliloquies you know you can't <laughs> well, <be> priceless <laughs> um, <laughs> i don't know but anyway go ahead go ahead i do want to give a little housekeeping note here several people have asked no these questions that i'm reading now are not part of this year's right riddles in the dark game um, these are just ones that were left over, and they're not in either because they are already, you know, pretty much answered, or they're probably part of your of your three, um, or we've actually already covered them in some way in right. this year's riddle. So they're not. I'm just reading. We're just kind of completing, you know, tying up loose ends here. So the second one that uh, was a holdover or did not get included last year was how will the confrontation between the White Council and the Necromancer be portrayed on screen? The answers were A, immaterial spiritual conflict from a distance, B, epic Battle of Helm's Deep-style battle between two large armies, C, Avengers-style small band of superheroes versus evil hordes battle, D, no conflict at all, the heroes will arrive to find the necromancer has already fled. I, uh, and, and I would want to specify when people are thinking about that riddle, um, an army of uh, foxes, hedgehogs, squirrels, and songbirds <laughs> rallying 
to Radagast would count still as Avengers style unless we actually have like ranks of them standing there and beating the butts of their spears against the ground like in Helm's Deep and uh, and everything else. It, it, quantity is what really matters there. Um, Mental image. Not to mention like dramatic epic battle sequence. You know Peter Jackson battle sequence. You know so if we get like. You know, scaling ladders and and uh, shield surfing and stuff, either by, with, or against <laughs> hedgehogs and foxes, then it counts as, as B. Yeah, hedgehogs, bats, foxes, and bats. Oh my! Well, that's. I mean, the, the bats, of course, would be on the other side. You got the bats and spiders right, against exactly. the. You just got yeah. like a. You just got like a woodland rumble the there. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, <laughs> This could be no. Trust us. No animals were harmed in the making of this film. Um, but uh, anyway, so we um, we are. St- but yeah, I mean, amazingly. Um, now, of course, that was made when we did think the f- it was going to be two films. Um, so we weren't surprised that the Battle of of Dolgoldor didn't end up happening in film one of three. Um, I'm still. Surprised that the Battle of Dolgoldor seems to be not happening uh, until film three now. Um, I mean, obviously Gandalf is going to go to Dolgoldor, but I don't. It just all the evidence seems against um, uh, that actually yeah. happening, uh, and you know that this is going to be a foray in, and there he's you know Gandalf is going to be coming back a second time to Dolgoldor uh, in the third film. I assume with the, with the hedgehog is. With the hedgehog, he's got because he didn't bring the hedgehog the first time. So he got to come back with the hedgehog and Galadriel probably yeah. to to assist the hedgehog, and then they'll right. attack right. Sauron at that point. Um, oh, by the way, on John Stewart, Ian McKellen, me and McKellen was a guest last week on John Stewart. Um, you know, as part of the Hobbit release, and he uh, he said to John Stewart that Gandalf has a has an affair with Galadriel, and John Stewart's like, oh, really? He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yana <laughs> said that almost gave him a heart attack. Yeah. Misinformation. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the thing is, it's a very clever joke because everyone was talking about that. You know, after the sort of tender moment that yeah. Gandalf and Galadriel yeah. had in film I one know. with the hand holding and everything, it's a it's a very clever, in fact, almost mean spirited joke <laughs> to, to to pull. Well, and you know, in, in the director's commentary, actually, Peter Jackson makes a joke of saying, you know, that they were like, you know, from the moment their eyes met as actors. They were just totally smitten with one another. I mean, they loved doing their scenes together. He says, you know, I really think they, you know, there ought to be a player, they should do a player movie together in the future. And he says, I almost thought Ian was going to go back in the closet. That's funny. So maybe that's Ian McKellen doing wishful thinking. You know, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So this is an interesting one. I mean, I think this one, this question is, you know, you know, to be determined. It's still viable. Three. Yeah, it, it seems like it. It is still yeah. viable. And, I mean, and it could be. Maybe I don't know. You know, maybe something's going to happen. Maybe the battle's going to start at the end of film two and go over to film three. But I, I just, I, you know, it doesn't seem like yeah, we've had that. It kind looks of like we're not gonna. We're not going to see it in film two. Yeah, but you know the thing is, the evidence we have is still unclear as to which way it's pointing right. in that. If that orc army that we saw is indeed at Dol Guldur, then it does seem to set up at least the possibility that we're going to need an army to attack Dol Guldur right. Um, right. when they finally do it. Um, but if that orc army is in fact mustering to start 
eventually heading towards the Lonely Mountain instead, as I rather suspect, um, then that would suggest, you know, it's going to be more Avengers style. Um, right. But uh, right. anyway, so, so, so yeah, I think even that, you know, it will be interesting to see where we are. Um, I said I don't think it's going to happen in film two, but it will be interesting to see how much more evidence we have about it. Yeah, and Daniel brought up the thing that I was just sitting here trying to decide if I wanted to bring up or not. So since Daniel brought it up, um, <laughs> Boyens in the director commentary does uh, they do talk about the process where Gandalf loses his staff starts at the at the end of film two. Now we've they did not say this in the film commentary, but we've noticed all of us talking through the stuff that Gandalf's staff in Lord of the Rings looks suspiciously like Radagast's staff in yes. The Hobbit. Yes, and mm. and then Boyens and and Jackson say. You know, the process whereby his staff changes. She doesn't say anything about Radagast's staff, but she just says the process whereby Gandalf's staff changes starts at the end of movie two. Which, you know, I mean, I think Daniel probably agrees with me. We've kind of inferred that that's probably a Battle of Dal Guldur thing. So I don't know. It's. I don't know. I don't think that clarifies anything. Frankly, it, it no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, and we've been saying well, again. We we said before the release of film one that it seemed to us likely that Radagast was going to die. Right. Um, I mean, he's always right. seemed the second most likely character to die in second to Torio, of course. Um, in, in in these films, just out of a sort of narrative necessity, you know. I mean, as, as continuity, yeah. As, 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 Otherwise, where would he be? In exactly. Lord of the Rings? As prominent as yeah. he is in these films, ex- exactly. How do you justify his not his absence in the right. Lord of the Rings? Right. Um, and his absence, right. of course, was complete in the Lord. Of the, no, not even any reference to him. So, um, Gabriel yeah. does point out that there's a Lego set called Battle of Dal Guldur, and of course, we've been a little. I, I, you know, I still, much as I love sets. the Lego sets, I am still, I, I am still hesitant about their names. I think I, I don't doubt that there is going to be some kind of fighting that is going to be happening at Dol Guldur. Um, I mean, we know that uh, that Radagast and, and 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 Gandalf are going there. Um, I am sure. In fact, we know we've already seen him swinging his staff around and beating the the the, the eyeball to light <laughs> uh, to life in in the trailer. So we know he's going to fight somebody and that strikes me as sufficient justification to the Lego people to call the set the Battle of Dol Guldur but it's clearly I think not what we are referring to as the Battle of Dol Guldur because the one thing that we have known about this quite clearly from the beginning is that Galadriel is going to be involved um, so right. the, mere, the very fact that there was no Galadriel Lego figurine in that set as Full as that set was already of really cool boss Lego figurines, um, nevertheless, <laughs> there would have been a Galadriel. Fi- I, you know, so anyway, that's um, that's that's right. She wasn't there, was she? No, yeah, she, was she wasn't not. in that set. She was not. They had Radagast yeah. and Gandalf and the Necromancer and Azog, uh, but they did not have Galadriel. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, but maybe, so yeah. Maybe Galadriel I, defies being a Lego figure. Maybe you know, maybe she just—it's just like impossible to make Galadriel into it. <laughs> right. No, if they can make a slave Leia Lego figure, they can make a Galadriel. That's true. Lego That's true. Figure. Oh my God, is there really a slave Leia? Oh my God. Oh, oh yeah. I was looking at the Lego sets yesterday when I was out shopping, and you know, it's like the one of Bjorn in the Dogglder ambush set is just. I don't know. It just that's pretty bizarre. Yeah. The, the one, the one. 
Well, it's pretty bizarre yeah, anyway. anyway. They probably have a separate attachable facial hair set uh, piece for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was tempted to buy it just to see. If they yeah, I'm sure they do. <laughs> oh, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be one that, you know, that goes around his neck yeah. and you put the head on top of it. Yeah. Yep. No, it's... Um, yeah. And that's... I just, you know, I'm thinking about, like... The guy who designs the mold, the plastic mold for, for you know, Bjorn's facial hair piece. You know, that's got to be something you're going to put Wouldn't on your resume the rest of your say? life. Like, what do you, yeah, what do you do for a living? Oh, I, I design Lego figures for yeah, exactly. fantasy movies. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Anyway, okay. So, um, by the way, one of the things, and I... Daniel will corroborate. I'm pretty sure it was in the director commentary. I'm just, they did say that we would be seeing Christopher Lee and, and Kate Blanchett again, which I know we knew that we'd be seeing Galadriel again. I was interested to hear oh, that we'd be seeing Christopher yeah. Lee again. And he didn't say, didn't you know, know which, which movie it would be, but I was like, oh, okay. Well, that, I pricked my ears up at that because it's like I still kind of want to see this, some evidence of Saruman going bad on the inside, you know. Which I think I, I am, after watching the extended edition, I am now more confident than ever that we're going to see. That I we mean, will see. I think it's quite clear from uh, the extended edition version of the the Rivendell White right. Council sequence he's talking about, yeah. that he's because yeah. because he does say some of the things which are cited in the Lord of the Rings as things which were evidence of Saruman you know, going bad before. Right. The so, thing about, oh, the ring is long gone. And exactly, blah, 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 yeah. exactly. I mean, it may simply be a scene of him looking in the Palantir and saying, yes, master, you know, to the exactly. eye. I mean, yeah. that may be the extent of it, but still, yeah. um, I'm glad that we'll see something like that. Yeah, no, okay. that's exactly well, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And, le- and and I'll bet you it won't be until movie three. That'll be a conundrum for us, Laura. Yeah, for movie three. Um, what will? Oh, except we're not doing Riddles in the Dark Digest. Oh darn. Well, maybe we can do Conundrum. We can do Conundrum. Yeah. Okay, so let me go on to the third one. Yeah. Third one is what will be the main, and let me specify. You know, that's in caps. Main role of the Nazgul in the Hobbit film. Yes. One, they are headed to Mordor, preparing for Saruman's relocation to his old stopping grounds, wearing tool belts. I just added that last bit. Um, (laughs) B, they are (laughs) they are focused on Erebor, aiding Smaug pursuing the company, joining the Battle of Five Armies, etc. C, they are focused on Dal Guldur, opposing the White Council, preparing for an offensive in South Mirkwood, etc. And D, they are seeking for the ring, dredging the river near Gladden Fields, investigating rumors of the heirs of Isildur, etc. With Hooker Riggs. I had that last bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's C that we've seen. I mean, we've only seen the Witch King, and we may only see the Witch King. I don't know if we're going to see the other Nazgul. Well, yeah, and this is still to be an open question. This is the question, this is the riddle that Dave and I came up with in our CinemaCon emergency episode in season one, because that was the very first time that the whole concept of the tomb of the Nazgul was first first released. Um, And we, along with most of the rest of the Tolkien fan community, were kind of had our minds blown about the fact that the Nazgul, the 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 whole concept, the tomb of the Nazgul, um, was confusing, remains confusing to some extent, though, you know, we've heard at least some explanation of it. Um, But of course, the clear implication of the tomb of the Nazgul and the tomb being opened and those that were inside escaping suggests that they're going to play a role. And we did see the Witch King in film one, but it still is to me a question. I mean, these are major characters. Um, What are they going to be doing? Maybe this films will just skim over them. 
But, um, yeah, Scott says, I, I'm betting this question won't be answered until the third movie. Scott, I agree with you. Yeah, I um, think you're right. I think that's, and yeah. I think it's, it's hilarious to me that two of the three questions that we held over from season one are probably not going to be answered in season two either. <laughs> um, that's kind of crazy. I know. But. Listen, some interesting things, again, director's commentary is, first of all, the, the Wish King that we see attacking Sylvester McCoy, Redagast, in film one is the same like the same CGI that they used for him on, yes. on Weathertop with Frodo, yes. which I thought was really interesting. Um, also, and Peter, Peter Jackson said he was surprised nobody picked up on this, but the Mor- Morgul blade that he uses is the same one that he nicks Frodo with on Frodo Weathertop. With. And then right. apparently that Morgul blade, they said something about that that Morgul blade will be in it. So obviously he has to get it back. He's got to get it back, and yeah. Yeah, and so they said that we'll be seeing more of that blade, you know, in the in the other movies of the Hobbit. So uh, did, that was kind of an interesting. Did Gandalf take it? We didn't see it again, right? Last we saw it was on Elrond's yeah, table. It was just on the table, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. We don't know hmm. where, who took it, do we? Maybe we'll that's what again? the Ring Raids are doing. See, we didn't ever suspect that they're going to be like engaged in burglary of R- Rivendell to steal back <laughs> the precious <laughs> money, ninja. Ninja dropping down on ropes and stuff. Well, Scott says Gandalf must be carrying it in his ropes. Yeah, he's going to carry it for another 90 years. Right? Well, exactly. I mean, so goodness knows it. what that yeah, guy yeah, is carrying around in his robes. In his pockets. <laughs> you know, and I have That's to say... That's a riddle. What has Gandalf got in his pockets? I have to say one of the best, uh, one of the best uh, collectibles from the, the uh, movie is the Morgul Blade letter opener. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Bill's quake in fear. Oh, that's great! Yeah. I like that. Uh, Erica Actually, says Yana that they're going to. Really well, I was going to say that Erica says they're going to. The Nazgul are, are going to the Shire to hire another burglar to go to 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 Rivendell to steal the Morgul <laughs> blade back. Steal their Morgul blade back. Yeah. Mobilia. But Yana says maybe Saruman gives it to him, which is a very good. Yeah, guess. that is a good suggestion. That could be another way that we see Saruman doing his thing. That yeah. would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rich, uh, Rich Drees is asking. Uh, a couple people have asked about where are the comments. Only we can. Only the co-host can see the comments. Rich, we've got you know the questions that you're putting through. Laura and uh, Corey and I can see, but there's not actually a, uh, a chat room. Yeah, we use this. Sort of this is this is the same interface we use for our MythGuard classes, and basically the the method by which you guys are able to participate here is is designed to be a way for the for the you know the students to participate with the with the teachers, um, not to have. Uh, chats among themselves while the teacher is talking. That's possible, but it's not possible here through this interface. Uh, and as a teacher, I'm always grateful for that. But there's um, there there we have at times experimented with setting up other chat rooms and things, and we might go back to that. But uh, at this point, well, now, you know, I can actually attest to the fact I was uh, I listened. Last, there was a Google Plus Hangout last week yes. that um, that the Hobbit people you know put together and richard armitage and evangeline Lilly and uh, peter jackson were being interviewed and on the side of the interface was a chat room deal it was so distracting it was so distracting yes and it I is thought, even just me watching yeah. it you know if i was trying to do something like this it'd be just really distracting to have the chat room thing going so that's one of the reasons no i find that you know there are lots of things that people I, there are lots of people who have a hard time even if they're really trying to ignore it and focus on it that you know a a a, a, a oh, chat yeah. session like that is very difficult for many people. So now I'm very glad that it's not included in the interface here. Um, though, you know, as I say, we, we have at times had it available for people, but, um, anyway, um, 
Uh, so anyway, yes. So thanks for thanks for clearing that up. I know there were a couple people who were who were asking about that. Um, but anyway, as you can tell, we um, we we can see your comments as you uh, as you bring them in. So we are we are definitely taking your comments into into account here as we go through. Um, we should probably get to the actual riddle from which, the season. Kier- but oh yeah, yeah. Let me talk. Kieran Hawks just said um, that. In, in uh, an illustration class, a uh, lecture uh, that uh, Kieran, I don't know if you're a girl or a boy, sorry, um, in being tutored by Gary Day Ellison, who worked with Alan Lee, and said that unfortunately the Radagast staff changeover is top secret. So <laughs> they, it looks like they won't be releasing any more information on that other than just the little tidbit that they dangled in front of us on the commentary. Yeah, okay. Yeah, even yeah, yeah. It's, though it's it's interesting to me that they say boy. Okay, Kieran is a boy. Kieran's a boy. Okay, <laughs> sorry, Kieran. It's interesting <laughs> that that Boyens would say that the changeover is going to begin at the end. Because I mean, if it's a question of Radagast bites it and Gandalf takes his, you know, takes his staff, which I presume is not like looting his body, but rather you know taking his staff taking, in memorial of his friend. I'm thinking it's taking friend. on Radagast's power. Yeah, or, or something. taking on Radagast's power. You know, well, he you can't know. take on his power, or because uh, I mean, there's like no. Birds living in Gandalf's hat, so obviously he has not does not <laughs> receive can, the like full portion of Radagast's power. Yeah, but true. but anyway, yeah. Um, uh, but the point is, there's no gradual change. There's no question of a changeover beginning or something. I mean, unless they're just being coy and trying yeah. to mislead us. Very odd. Um, I, I don't understand how a gradual changeover is possible. You know, by the end of the film, his staff is going to have morphed halfway into the new staff, right, but not right. quite. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't. She said think. the process starts at the end of movie two, so that makes me wonder if something's going on. Maybe, maybe, maybe Sarah, maybe is Sil- maybe uh, Radagast or... is locked in some kind of battle or something. Maybe Radagast receives something. a mortal wound, but is still not there dead by the He's end. Still alive, yeah. right? Right. Because uh, actually, Boyan said movie two. Jackson said movie three is when we see it, and yeah. then Boyan says, "Oh well, the process starts at movie two. Process so starts. Like, ah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah." yeah. Um, Dylan says maybe Radagast gets turned to the dark side. <laughs> um, that's a really horrifying thought. Uh, it is a horrifying thought. In several thought. ways. Um, it's hard to see him, like, you know, cradling a little baby spider in his arms instead, you know, and being like, <laughs> I shall turn my powers to evil. Only bats and spiders from now on. <laughs> He's gonna have like bats living in his hair and stuff. I guess it's possible. You know, Yana brings up a topic which actually I, I'm not sure when. You know, it will probably be a, something we can talk about in movie three, which is if Radagast does die, some people will remember Gandalf's revival and, and might not accept you know Radagast dying like outright, which I think is an interesting topic. We, I'll make a note of that for maybe movie three because I think there's reasons for Gandalf's right. revival which are not you know. I mean, it's, it's, it was a special circumstance. Yeah, and uh, you know you could you could you could affect that by uh, the circumstances of Radagast's death, and you know right, especially right, right. if he That's gets right. a if he gets a nice Shakespearean soliloquy before he dies, you know he could explain <laughs> that he's not coming back. Uh, so you know we'll see, we'll see. Um, well, uh, Matthew Reynolds, I, I've always thought that Saruman, I mean, we talked about this, I think, in the first year, where if Saruman, we, we might see evidence of Saruman going bad if he is part of the Battle of Dol Guldur, where Radagast discovers Saruman's treachery and Saruman has to off him to keep quiet. You know, we talked about that possibility. Yeah, we did. Year. Love that idea. Love that idea. Yeah. Um, 
uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. yeah, if Saruman shows up, and no, that that would be that would be. Um, I, I would love that. I would love that actually. But. I know. I think that would be pretty cool. All right. Well, shall we go to uh, this year's riddles? Okay. Let us go to this year's riddles. So here are this year's riddles. Um, we begin with Bjorn. How will the tree, the film treat Bjorn's relationship with the goblins? He resents them for displacing him from his mountain territory. Book answer. B. He has a more personal grudge against them from his own or family history. They killed my parents or similar. His hatred against the goblins is in some way explicitly linked to Thorin and his family history. D. He has no particular grudge against goblins at all. Um, what did I say? I said B. You said B. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As did I. Probably, yeah. you know... I was probably I probably talked you into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I was <laughs> That's an a pattern. A. And Dave, Dave was an A. And Dave and Laura said A. Yeah. See, the C answer here is clearly the one of the four, which is the biggest reach. The rationale for that is simply: Are they going to be trying to tie, um, to tie Bjorn into the plot more intimately, rather than just being a dude that they meet along the way, who then decides he's going to show up? really kind of for reasons best known to himself at, at the Battle of Five Armies, the book doesn't really give a good rationale for why Bjorn shows up at the Battle of Five Armies. Um, everybody else kind of has a reason. Um, I, I guess Bjorn is like, they're, the goblins are probably going to go there, so there'll be lots of goblins to kill, so I'm off, I guess. But um, it's not really clear. Um, so anyway, that, that was, you know, and especially thinking after film one, of the way that Azog's character was changed. And changed here, I'm thinking in particular, of being changed in exactly that way, being more explicitly linked to Thorne and his family history. We have Azog not just as the king of the orcs who's living in Moria, um, where, you know, Thror was trying to get in, but rather somebody who has explicitly sworn to destroy the line of Durin. Um, and so, was there going to be a similar connection with the line of Durin in some sense with yeah. with Bjorn? Was was kind of the the the, the rationale there? Um, uh, well, yeah. you know, one of the things that Boyan's talked a lot about in the director's commentary and explaining why they did certain things was she kept using the word investment. You know, having the audience invest in this character, having the audience invest in this aspect of the story. And you're talking about Azog just now reminded me of that. You know, where she explained, you know, that it wasn't an, they they felt that the audience wouldn't invest sufficiently in just the fact that orcs hated dwarves. You right. know, that they actually made it Azog's a personal vendetta kind of a thing. And that makes me think here that B maybe, you know, has some, you know, if, she, if they're talking about investment, they may need to go, they may go toward a B kind of a thing. Or even a C. Or even a C, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, Erica was asking, Erica Smith says, if Bjorn hates the goblins simply because they're goblins, does that count as D? Yes. Yes, it does. Basically, the question is, does he have a particular reason, a particular motivation? He does in the book. You know, we're told that he hates goblins yeah. because the mountains were his home and, and the goblins came to the mountains and, and you know, he can't live there anymore. And we've got that memory, you know, when, uh, you know, Gandalf says that he overheard him looking up at the mountains and saying, one day they shall leave and I will return. So we know he's got a grudge, but um, that seems like a that seems to me like a, a fairly. I, I went with B because I thought that was a little vagueish for the film. So, 
I thought yeah, the right, I thought they right. I thought he was probably going to have a grudge, not just I'm anti goblin in general, but that he was going to need some specific thing, like you know they killed his family. It doesn't have to be that, but you know some there's some reason in his past. He is harboring some you know there's some horrible event in his past that makes him hate the goblins. Um, and you know the Lego set makes it interesting. The ambush of the Dogulder or Dogulder ambush, I guess it's called. The smaller set that. Bjorn's in is kind of interesting. We talked about this before when we talked about the Lego sets, which is kind of like, well, that seems to imply that he's at least going to take a solo foray over there yes. to check things, maybe to check things out. Yeah, almost certainly. I mean, no, he's that's that. I, I would say that is almost certainly what that Lego set implies. Whether or not right, that implication right. is correct, I don't know, but that is almost certainly <laughs> what it implies. Yeah. Um, and 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 this is the more easy to believe since we have textual. Uh, grounds for a solo foray by Bjorn, because that's right. exactly what he does in the book. Um, not to Dol Guldur, right. obviously, but you know he goes in the other direction. But that seems to me exactly the kind of change that the film is most likely to make. Um, well, also, yeah. I mean, they've moved where Dol Guldur is, right? I mean, because there's there's no way that Radagast could just jaunt on over to Dol Guldur. <laughs> well, and then you know, jaunt on over to where the dwarves were. If you can jaunt on across the Misty Mountains like that in a sled, in your rabbit sled. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly it's one of the. If there's a firm rule in in the Peter Jackson Middle Earth world, it's that there's no firm rule. Distance doesn't matter. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but uh, but Bjorn is definitely nowhere near Dol Guldur, at least in the book. Yeah, uh, no, 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 he's right. not. Well, neither of them are actually. But again, I mean, in the book, aren't aren't <laughs> isn't Bjorn and Radagast are like neighbors in the book, aren't they? They live relatively yeah, close to one. Another. I think they're they're pretty close. But, they are pretty you know, close, Bjorn, closer than Dol Guldur, anyway. I mean, I guess Bjorn doesn't have access to a bunny sled. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, but you know but he can cover some formal, ground. But he can make some tracks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. He is a yeah. um, a wear bear. Yeah, exactly. And, but, he, if he's, if, and he's, he looks big enough to where just one stride would probably be like you know half a mile. Yeah, or that's true. Yeah, well, like... I'm going to defend my answer because you know bears <laughs> are very territorial. At least I think they are. And, uh, <laughs> and so I think that's going to be for me. That's enough of a reason for him to hate the the goblin that's a good that's a good argument yeah especially if they you know one one thing in support of that argument is i think the way that they have even just like the physical his it might sound strange but his physical description his physical appearance um seems to me to support that argument because they've clearly gone i mean in my mind the way that they've depicted him with his really unusual sort of uh you know wookie facial hair thing that he's got going on um or really it's kind of a demi wookie isn't it i mean it's not the full wookie but it's a demi wookie it's yeah. he's like a demi wookie yeah. but anyhow um yeah. it really you know the question that that's, the book that's asks that's got to be the title of this episode not the full wookie <laughs> not the full wookie <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. Anyway, so, <laughs> so 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 he um I'm trying to make desperately to retain my train of thought. Okay, right. In the book the question is, is he a man who becomes a bear or a bear who becomes a man? And yeah, his nice. facial hair seems to 
to to to slant that uh, in the in the in the in, in wonder. I mean, he looks like a bear who can turn into a man because when he's a man, he still mostly looks like a bear. Um, he doesn't look like a normal man who also can assume bear form. I mean, he's he seems to be clearly not fully human. Um, at least that's how they seem to depict him when he's when he's human. Um, so so you know maybe therefore Laura he is in fact going to be, um, you know, just sort of exhibiting more kind of bear characteristics bear tendencies yeah, yeah. you know yeah. I, I i gotta give a, a shout out to jim butcher uh dress and files i you know a miracle that i could actually do a dress and file reference in riddles <laughs> in the dark but there is a, one of the books in dress and files has to do with werewolves it's actually where we first meet the people who are werewolves and their yeah. mentor is this very mysterious woman and it turns out she's actually a werehuman right which is what you were just talking about which is an animal that can turn into a human which until I read that, even though I had read The Hobbit, I hadn't really thought in those terms. Until I read that book, I'm like, oh, interesting. Well, I guess if you could do turn into a wolf, you could have wolves or, you know, animals that turn into humans. Interesting. Yes, I was kind of wondering uh, uh, if that, yeah, that's a uh, uh, full moon, as Scott Farmer correctly full moon, identifies. Right, right. Um, I was, full I, moon, baby. I, yeah. was, I was kind of wondered if that at the end of full moon was a... Was a, a, a if he had the Hobbit at all in mind, I mean, I know, you know, yeah, you, I know. You know that Bjorn, yeah. the Hobbit is a favorite a book of butchers. Yeah. yeah. But, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so it's, you know, it is, it is possible. Now, of course, the factor that we didn't anticipate at all at the time that we came up with this riddle, which was, I think, January or maybe February, um, <clears throat> was the fact that their relationship with Bjorn was going to begin by being chased into his house by him. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Which again, Laura suggest you know d- <laughs> seems to support the territoriality thing. You know, uh, he seems to have a grudge against anybody uh, who comes to his place. So, um, and and so yeah. Um, but, you, you but doesn't it make you wonder if maybe into he's the house. exactly? I was just going to say, doesn't it make you wonder that maybe when he's in bear form, his brain is not really clicking on human level where he would chase them into his house. Right. Not to mention the fact that, like, once they get in there and close the door, right. you might think, like, hmm, do you know what would help right now? Opposable thumbs. That's what would help right now. <laughs> I think I'm going to turn back into human form and not just try to bust down made. the door of my own house. Right. Yeah. Or the point you and come in the back door, right? How yeah. you walk in the back door as a human, right? And then there's the point you've made multiple times, which is okay, now how do they get over the awkwardness of the situation and yeah. actually end up sitting down at his table for a meal? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about trying to eat you. Here, have some honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I, I mean it's 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 the ice and I still do, I still don't understand. I, I, I am still very curious about how we're going to get from there to his helping them at all. I am assuming that his solo trip to Del Guldur is going to factor in, though obviously he has to have trusted them enough to help them and let them go before he does that, presumably. Though again, that's not how it works in the book. He has his he does his solo jaunt while they're there in the book. Um, right. But, you know, I'd, 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 that I can't imagine is going to happen. Um, well, and again, I think I mentioned this maybe the last time, was my thought had been that this might be what causes 
Gandalf, you know, because Gandalf's not said in the movies that he's planning to split off like he does in the book. I mean, he makes it clear in the book from the get-go almost, doesn't he, that he's going to Before they get to, yeah, well, and he brings it up again, yeah, before they get to Bjorn's, yeah, at the Carrick. But I'm thinking that Bjorn's solo foray into uh, Dol Guldur, and also I remember back last year when they interviewed the actor, he talks about the scene where he's torturing a uh, a dwarf, a an orc. Starting new rumors! Um, (laughs) <laughs> that he may bring back news that causes Gandalf to decide to split off at this point, right. where he hadn't necessarily. Yeah, that would make so sense. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so that's going to be interesting to see how that kind of happens. I guess. Oh, the other thing I'm trying to think where this. I think it was in the director's commentary. They talk about the thing with Bjorn being fairly short. You know, the scene at Bjorn's house being fairly short. So right. I'm like, well, gosh, how are we going to get all this stuff in there? Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, we should uh, we should we should move along. I shouldn't. Yeah, go I'm too... gonna go away for just a second. I gotta go get warmer a warmer jacket on, so I will be back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a little yeah. chilly. I'll be back in a little while. Okay, all right. Number two, where is Thran now? I.e., in real time in the movie. A. Dead. Book answer. B. Alive and imprisoned in Dol Guldur. C. Alive and imprisoned elsewhere. D. Alive and not a prisoner. E. This will not be answered on screen. And this is the one where I memorably talked myself into a really unlikely answer, but I still like it. <laughs> yeah, everybody was against you, it looks yep. like. Everyone is oh. against me. Everyone's thinking, oh, he's still in Dal Goldor. No way, man. I think yeah, and this is, this is still up for grabs, really. It is. I mean, it's I mean, not been answered. It's fascinating because, you know, the more we saw of that, I mean, there was that scene in the original very first trailer, which, of course, was released when there was still only the two films. And they released footage of of what's going to be film two in that original trailer. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That scene of Gandalf fighting the crazy guy at what looks like Dol Guldur. Which everyone was identifying as Thran from the beginning. But, you know, the more we... We did see more of him in early trailers, the crazy dude that Gandalf is fighting, and he doesn't look at all like Thran. I don't think, anyway. Based on what we saw of Thran um, in Erebor at the beginning, um, like, he he had... I mean, he was already gray. I mean, he was like gray and white hair Mm -hmm. and white bearded. Um, And the crazy dude leaping off of a tower and pouncing upon Gandalf in trailer one of this year um, does not look like that, uh, you know, even if he's could it shaped. Be, could it be Radagast, maybe? I don't think so. Didn't look at all like him. Yeah. But I don't know who it is. Yeah. So I don't know. Who, who could it be? It's, yeah. yeah, it's still it's still pretty puzzling to me. I mean, I'm not going to say I think it's impossible that it's Thran, but it doesn't seem to me necessary from looking. I mean, I certainly don't think that this has been answered, and in any case, even if that is him, I gotta tell you that I think he looks suspiciously unimprisoned in that in that shot. So this is true. This is true. Now the Unless other, f- he's a mental prisoner, <laughs> exactly. Which I would hold to still be. <laughs> you deep. would argue that that is not a prisoner, and not yeah. a prisoner that we were referring only to his physical and not his mental incarceration. Um, ah, Dylan is suggesting that the dude pouncing might be Radagast after he's turned to the dark side. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, maybe. Because uh, he did look like he was wearing rags or something. He or... is wearing rags. So it could be Radagast, because yeah. Radagast is... I mean, it's, it's got to be somebody we've met. It can't be somebody completely new. So You'd think not. I mean, it. yeah, I mean, it wouldn't just be like... 
Hi, my name is Biff, and I'm crazy, and I live in the yeah. in Dogulu. Yeah, I'm just going to jump on you. Right, so. for no reason. Now, Scott brings yeah. up a really important um, question, which is, how does this tie into the Dwarven Ring of Power? Um, and that, to me, is one of, one of the very interesting elements from the extended edition, that we got that reference to the Dwarven Ring of Power. And in particular... The fact that something more was at least going to be said about Thrain, even if we didn't see him again, um, was I mean, that was already relatively clear, I think, by the fact that he mysteriously disappeared, uh, you know, at the Battle of Azanul Bazaar, and attention was drawn to the fact that he had mysteriously disappeared. That's enough to make you think he's going to appear again later on, um, somehow mm-hmm. or other. Um, the fact that he. Um, the fact that he uh, also is referred to by Azog um, in that final sequence, and again also points to the fact that his significance in the film is not over. Um, but then, even more pointedly, the references to the to the Ring of Power and Gandalf's indication of the you know the significance of the fact that um, the dwarf you know the last dwarven ring is now missing and isn't that important and shouldn't we care. Mm-hmm leads me to think that we as the audience probably should care we'll about care. that. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be an element in the third movie. Yeah. That yeah. they're going to start tying things in with the Lord of the Rings a little bit more, and they're going to want to bring up the ring a little bit more, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that... Um, well, it's going to... I mean, though I wonder, you know, oh. have have they... By cutting that from film one, are they gonna be able to refer to I mean because people have only seen the theatrical version and won't have gotten that reference. So I don't even know uh yeah. for sure about that. But um anyway I do think um so I'm still holding by my wacky answer to this. This is the that he's been living off as a crazy hermit somewhere. Um uh possibly because he's lost his his ring. Um, well and if they don't get to this in this movie is that answer E. Uh, Say so they don't get to it till the third movie. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Okay. If it's never referred to, and we don't, if we don't get any kind of answer until film three, it would be E. Yeah. Yeah, because that's to me that's looking kind of likely at this point. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, okay, so so number three then. How will the elves' relationship with the encroaching evil in Mirkwood be depicted? Um, A, and this, and here this is especially, uh, you know, the, the, the main impetus for this riddle was how is the how is the realm of the Elven King going to be depicted? You know, we know, we, we know we're going to get twisted in evil Mirkwood as they go through yeah. it. Um, how is the realm of the Elven King going to be depicted are we going to be able to see any difference and what is there, especially given the fact that the encroachment of the evil upon Mirkwood was made a feature of the story of film one, what is going to be the relationship of the elves who live within that forest to that encroaching evil? So, the options were, the forest is uniformly dark with no light-dark boundary, but the elves are living at peace. Um, The they don't emerge from, you know, the dark forest and suddenly find themselves in bright, beautiful, and lovely forest um, when they get to the Elven King's realm. Um, But yet the elves are also not 
I mean, they 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 don't like the spiders, but they're not at war exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so B is the forest is uniformly dark with no boundary, and the elves are living in crisis. Mm-hmm. C there is a clear and unchallenged. Uh, uh, evil slash elf realm demarcation and the elves are living at peace? The Doriath answer, yeah. So you've got evil surrounding them, but then you cross a boundary and all of a sudden you're in elf territory. Um, uh, and um, so, so yeah, so that that's that's uh, that's C. D is there's an actively defended boundary between the encroaching evil and the elf realm, i.e. the elves are in crisis. Yeah, and for the everyone but Dave, Dave said the the Doriath answer. Um, and uh, from the trailers, it looks like it is. Uh, it looks like it is either C or D to me. Yeah, it doesn't. It does look like. I mean, I'm thinking of that scene. You know, the scene I was joking about in trailer one with the pointing elf, right? You know, the scene mm-hmm. where the uh, pointing elf is yeah. pointing out, and the area across which he's pointing does not seem to be twisted and nasty. And Dark. indeed, no. the woods around the elven battlements upon which Azog leaps four times in every trailer we've seen. Um, <laughs> I guess the question is, are they really living in crisis, though? Um yeah, well, and he, I mean, uh, you got, you've got Legolas wearing battle armor. I mean, he's, you know... Well, yes, but I would say I would not count if I were judging, and I'm not, but if I were judging... So, Brianna, pay attention here. If I were, if I were judging... <laughs> I'm going to do a Dave and try to, try to get in uh, in advance here. If I were judging, I would not count the attack of Azog and his orcs as the elves living in crisis. Like what, what we meant by that was primarily with the encroaching evil of the forest, you know, that the elves realize they are a kingdom under siege. You know, the, the forest in which they live, their forest is being, you know, consumed by evil and they are fighting against that evil. The fact that, you know, an orc band comes through and attacks them. I mean, yes, they're in crisis when they're being attacked by orcs, but I don't, but that's not, it's unless, Unless explicitly this is like the first of a large wave of orcs that are attacking them and they're basically going to become under siege by, by you know, by orc armies, that I suppose would count. Um, but, yeah, uh, and I wonder, yeah. I mean, how are they dealing with the, the spider issue and, and the encroachment of the spiders? Are they just letting it happen? Are they right. or, are or, they or you in could... harmony with the spiders? Or, well, I or mean, what are they doing? It could be, like, again, the book answer would be, the spiders just don't go where they are, you know, yes. that, that they, by their presence, sort of, you know, by their presence and by their magic, repel the spiders, and, um, but they don't fight off the spiders. You know, the spiders are not trying to encroach, and they're not trying to beat them back. Um, they don't, you know, they're not at peace with them. It's not like they're the allies of the spiders. But, um, uh, but yeah, I but think it's sort of letting them live and right, right, because they, they don't come to about. where they are. Um, that would be, I think, what C looks like. You know, that yes, there's darkness, but where the elves are is not dark and is not corrupted yet. And you know, the spiders and the corruption is stopped. And so, you know, maybe they're thinking, "Gosh, um, our new neighbors to the south seem really unpleasant. Maybe we should do something about that." But there's not like our kingdom could be overtaken by this corruption any second, you know, kind of crisis. 
Yeah, and that seems to be how the elves of the third age live anyway, pretty yeah. much. They just they stay in their own little protected territory and they don't worry too much about what's going on in the world outside them. With yeah. maybe the the exception of Elrond and um, Galadriel. But even then they don't leave they don't really leave their Exactly. Their kingdoms. Exactly. I mean think about think about both of those kingdoms in the Lord of the Rings. You know, think of Rivendell, you know, with the Trollshaws right nearby, you know, you know, that's cold country. That's that's troll country, we're told. Well, but the trolls have apparently not been disturbed by Elrond and the rest of them. You know, they they're they're they've stayed in Rivendell. Yeah. Um, but, but the movie Elrond is very different. I, I was very surprised in the Lord of the Rings trilogy when Elrond shows up in Rohan. Yes. That, uh... Yes. <laughs> yes. That was bizarre. Yeah. And in The Hobbit, in Riven, you know, the Rivendell elves are going outside of Rivendell to attack the orcs. Yes. Which really actually doesn't seem like something they would necessarily do. I mean, they send out watchers to go find, you know, Frodo when, in the Fellowship of the Ring when they hear that he's coming. But, um, but yeah, they don't. They don't seem to be routinely proactive them. in that way. Yeah. Um, and again, and the same thing with Galadriel. I mean, Galadriel has been next door neighbors to a Balrog for quite some time now. Um, and, you know, it's true that they say that they don't know, you know, they don't know, what, they didn't know it was in there. And, you know, though they suspected that beneath Carothras a, a terrorist slept. But, um, but still, I mean, you think of like the, how, how, how short was the journey for the Fellowship from the gates of Moria to the eaves of Lothlorien. And that's how far the elves of Lothlorien were from the Battle of Azanulbazar and didn't intervene. Mm -hmm. So that kind of isolationism is pretty, um, is pretty standard for the elves. Um, it's true. Um, but again, that's, that's uh, you know, Laura, as you've been pointing out with Elrond, um, in the Lord of the Rings film, and especially in The Hobbit, um, that's not been the case nearly so much. So, you know, it will be interesting to see, therefore, how Thranduil is depicted um, in that way. Um, yes. Well, and apparently this uh, this issue with the, the gems of Les Gellion, or whatever they're called, the ones, you know, the pretty woman scene that's been added into the extended yeah, edition. yeah. yeah apparently plays a big part and I guess that's like Jackson said it's always nice to be able to put these scenes in because they help explain what comes in the other you know succeeding movie kind of thing apparently that's going to be the reason why one of the reasons why Thranduil hates the uh, dwarf so much is because he thinks they gypped him well um I mean and yes. it, you know elf size I mean because apparently he's like Fingal you know in the sense of being very much into his gems and material wealth and whatnot yeah 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 and um, one could argue to Peter Jackson that that scene would have explained a lot in film one as yes. well as in later films. And it didn't take that long. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's move on. Um, uh, okay. Riddle four. Under what I, know, I, just, I do want to note that I noticed that when I'm gone, you go through these much faster. <laughs> 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 I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> Under what circumstances? As, as should I. Right. Yes. 
Under what circumstances will the dwarves be captured by the wood elves? So here's the one we were, I was alluding to before. Elves are sent out to capture the dwarves and do so after they are freed from the spiderweb casings. Uh, book answer. The elves are, elves are sent out to capture the dwarves, but they have to rescue them from the spiderweb casings to do so. Elves encounter the dwarves by chance or seek them benevolently after they are freed from the spiderwebs. Elves encounter the dwarves by chance or seek them benevolently and rescue them from the spiderweb casings. So this is one of our quadrant riddles. Right, famous quadrant riddles, yes. You know, so there are basically the two questions that you need to answer for yourself. One is, do the... are the elves sent out... the elves which captured the dwarves, were they sent out in order to capture them or not? And then the question is, do they do so while the dwarves are still encased or after they have escaped? And we all said A. Everybody gave the book answer except for Dave who thinks uh, that they were not sent to capture them. We all agreed that it was after they were freed from the spiderweb casings, and it's kind of looking like we are all wrong. I, yeah, I think that's still up in the air, though. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Because I, Do I, I don't think we've seen a scene with the elves there with them still encased in the spiderwebs. We've seen scenes with the elves there with them having spiderwebs still kind of hanging on them. And we've seen Toriel and Legolas... Uh, fighting spiders with right. large cocooned items in the background, but oh, they might okay. not be dwarves. That's, it's yeah. possible that they're not dwarves. Maybe it's other elves. It could be other elves. Yeah, that's an actually a very interesting <laughs> idea. Um, that is a, that's true. In fact, okay. So I think this one still could be. Here, I've, 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 well, I've, and, I've, and I've got a wild so. theory. I've got a wild theory. Laura, you've inspired a wild theory. So here it goes. Oh. Wild theory. <laughs> Thinking also about how the, the, they could, they, the film writers, could pick up on the line from the book about the dwarves um, rousing the spiders with their riot and clamor. They could mm-hmm. have uh, the fight between the dwarves and the spiders, which uh, ends in the dwarves' capture, as I assume that's going to happen on screen and not happen off screen as it does in the book. Um, that there could be elves involved or even something like some kind of parallel to the woodland feast. You know, that there could be elves who are caught out and, and spiders descend on all of them and that gets blamed on the dwarves. And that Legolas and Toriel go out because they know that some of their people were captured by the spiders. And so they are in fact going out to rescue the elves that were taken by the spiders. And the dwarves have already been rescued by Bilbo, and so they catch up with them. That's why Legolas Ah. and Toriel fight off the spiders, and then they chase after the dwarves, track them down, and catch up with them with Legolas doing the pop-up slide, as we've seen in in trailer number one. That's that's a very good theory. It's a little complicated, but... Well... (laughs) You know, a lot of my theories are very complicated. That's but, you know, okay. that's actually... I, well, I think the lesson, to, you know, lesson is, once again, to be careful what we assume from the trailers. Because, right. you know, that is possible. That they're out fighting spiders completely independently of the dwarves. And yes. run across yes. the dwarves, like you said, in the, you know, in the pop-up slide. Well, and it could be that the elves take part in the spider fight without actually cutting them out of the casings. You know, it could be that Bilbo does that part. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, 
That's true, because by the letter of the law, so long as they don't actually cut the dwarves free from the webs... Um, yes. Uh, a is still, still in force. A and C would <laughs> still be in play. My answer is still viable. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of a technicality at that point, but I like Yana's suggestion that the problem is that the pointing elf has been captured, and so they're going to rescue the pointing elf, because in his absence, nobody can find the way out. Um, but uh, I think, who knows? I think that's possible, but not necessarily true. Anyway, let us move on. Um, how is the escape by barrel arranged? Um now this is one of our this is not one of our quadrant riddles, this is one of our cumulative riddles. Um A by Bilbo alone and unaided, that of course is the book answer. B in cooperation with at least one dwarvish collaborator. C with the knowing consent or assistance of at least one elven sympathizer. D with the help of magical intervention from some outside, i.e. non ring source, such as Gandalf, Radagast, Galadriel, or similar. The second phase manuscript plot notes A answer. Yes, exactly. Um, so, of course, these are this is as I say, it's one of our cumulative riddles. If any of the latter ones are, and any 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 later answer trumps the ones that came before. So, if there is a dwarvish collaborator and the knowing consent or assistance of at least one elven sympathizer, the answer is C, not B, because these are in orders of this is in order of sort of increasing unlikeliness, and therefore the more if the more unlikely one turns out to be true, it trumps one of the earlier ones. Um, I agree with Scott. Toriel is the wild card here. Now, let me specify, because this will come up again later in our Toriel riddle. Um, if the if Toriel sees them escaping, unbeknownst to them, and chooses to say nothing and do nothing and let them escape, but they don't realize that she has let them escape, that is not C. With the knowing consent, right. or it's just like we have to have like her coming in and finding them, and Bilbo caught red-handed, letting dwarves out of prison, and Toriel telling them, "I'm not going to do anything. You guys go." Like they have to right. know that they have gotten the consent or assistance of an elf. If we see that she knows and she doesn't do anything, but they don't see that, it's not C. C is like the active, you know, in that way, the active participant, active participation and interaction with an elf during the during now the, uh, I, I do want to give a caveat here since Brianna's on this was our intent with the riddle okay yeah. Corey's not dictating as a judge here he's just simply stating how we put this riddle together so yeah. hopefully you're taking notes yeah dude I was totally <laughs> dictating right there actually but but no no I just yeah I, I'm trying to explain what our rationale was Brianna. when we conceived of it because those are the terms in which we've responded, so, you that's know, right. that uh, that's right. that seems... But, Brianna, of course, that's needless right. to say, I wouldn't try to actually influence the judges, because that wouldn't be right. I'm just trying to explain how it's supposed to go, that's and we're, all. And we're suggesting that that's probably the best way to approach this question. Right. See, right. Where, where, where these explanations really begin to become corrupt is after we've seen the film. Any arguments like this yeah. I start making after I've seen the film, uh, you can you can start being... Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's when it simply becomes special pleading. Right. Any opinions you get from tonight on from Corey, you have to ignore. <laughs> exactly. Did I say A? Yes, I did say A. Okay, good. I still agree with that. 
I still and do I think it's gonna I be going all up. You said B. One of the rare times. Which I believe. Yeah, and I believe having seen that little clip that they showed at the end of last week's Google Hangout, that it will be. It seemed it appeared that way because it looked like all the dwarves were surprised, even to the point where one of the dwarves sticks his head out of the barrel and goes to Bilbo. Now, what do you want us to do? And Bilbo goes, "Hold your breath," and he pulls the, the, the lever. <laughs> well, so they don't even know they're going to get dumped into the water. The thing with Tariel too is, I mean, she's chasing after them, so if she helped them to escape. Right. I mean, maybe she has to do that for show, but right, you right. know, it, it looks like she's she's actively trying to catch them so actually i think a will be a cool if it turns out to be a I, I'll, I'll be very happy about that because i think it's just another time for bilbo to do his thing you know i mean I think yeah really cool. yeah yeah um yeah no i think a and you're right laura you and i almost never agree but we did agree on that one <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's because I don't I don't get influenced by the silver tongue. It's true. It's true. You have proven strongly resistant. Yeah. You know, it's just like how yeah. how you know Gandalf and Goadriel are two of the only people that Aragorn would trust to talk with Saruman. You know, like they they should send you in to talk to me. I guess <laughs> you know, Trish is utterly defenseless. But oh, uh, I don't like that. I know that, but that makes you equal to Saruman. And I don't like that at all. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bard. We have this is the for the I've Bard episode. Trying not to make that. <laughs> yeah. All right. What is I, Bard? I, I was, I've, I've steadfastly not tried to make that parallel. Like, yeah, I with Saruman. Yeah. Stop myself from making this. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what is Bard's relationship with the company going to be when they are in Lake Town? Uh, a. He has no presence or only a cameo role. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't exist yet. Uh, in chapter in 10. Yeah. Um, he supports them openly. He supports them, but secretly. He openly opposes them. He works against them secretly. Well, we have him speaking in a public forum against them. One of the so things... Dee's looking pretty... Dee is looking pretty yeah, solid. Dee look, looks pretty good. It does. Now, of course, what's going to get complicated, and I say this not to try to sway the judges, but to indicate the complexity <laughs> of the situation, is yes. that... Uh, if his opinion changes at some point, it's going to be interesting. I mean, right. we do know that he brings them in, um, and it, they're they're especially. I'm I'm kind of one of the things that's unclear to me. Of course, it is from the trailer, um, especially that last trailer um, with the, the one with the prophecies. You know, and Bard like uncovering or something these prophecies of doom which seem to be directly you know what leads him to to condemn thorin as he does when does that happen what's the chronology of this you know uh, the trailer almost leads me to suspect that he somehow uncovers this while they're there so that you Mm. know bard is having some kind of like you know conversion experience like he's initially favorable to the dwarves then finds out about these prophecies and says no way um so, um, yeah, I don't know. But um, so if, if if he really does have a change of heart, it's going to make this harder. And I, I guess then the judges would just have to decide which they think predominates. But, yeah. Yeah, well, I thought it would be, you know, in terms of having some conflict, um, it would be a lot more interesting in the film to have Bart oppose them. You know, and he seems like a he seems like a pragmatic guy. You yeah. know, I, I mean, the first thing he's going to think of is um, 
you know, he's not like the master of Lake Town wanting to get as much profit as he can from these people, but he's going to think, you know, they're going to go stir up the dragon. Well, that's going to be, that's that's not going to be good for anybody. Right. Though, well, you, there, know, you know, it, I think, I think, Corey, you're right. I think this is going to end up being kind of a little bit of a complex thing because one of the scenes that got released last week that's flying around, and I figure I can talk about these because they're around so people will see them, is an extension of that scene of them in the square. And it's, it's kind of scary, actually, because Thorin literally promises the Lake Town people a share of the gold in that scene. He's like, why wouldn't you want me us to go do this? There's gold under that mountain, and you can have a share of it. I mean, and so the master is behind him, going, "Oh yes, wonderful, great," you know. And so, I remember when we answered this question, I was thinking it was going to flip around that the master was actually going to be the enemy, the overt enemy in the movie, and Bard would therefore be helping them. And that was the basis of my answer. Right. But it's looking like it's really, at least initially, it's going to be the other way, which is the master's going to be, oh, gold, yay, a share of the gold, and bards against them. But it could shift somewhere in there. Yeah, and that is one of the uh, things before that... Before they leave Lake Town. We've still gotten so relatively little of the master of Lake Town in any of the trailers or anything that I don't have mm-hmm. any clear sense of the role the master is going to be playing, um, uh, and especially in how that's going to be relating to Bard. Now, the one thing that I don't like about his opposition of them at the beginning is that it seems to make the conflict at the Lonely Mountain before the Battle of Five Armies a little bit too simplistic. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it also possibly... Well, we'll, we'll have to see where it goes. Because, of course, this is one of the things I'm going to be thinking about from Lake Town onwards. I'm going to be... Th- well, really from Mirkwood onwards, but especially from Lake Town, I'm going to be thinking about the Battle of Five Armies and the setup for the you know sort of Siege of the Lonely Mountain that happens with Bard and the Elven King. Um, so I'm going to be very interested in the relationship between Lake Town and Mirkwood, and I'm going to be really interested in the way that you know Bard and Thorin are interacting here and how this is setting up the conflict that's going to happen later. Um, right. And I kind of you know well if if he if he uh, promises part of the gold and right. then goes against that, that's different than in the book. It is, though it promise. really only makes explicit... I mean, it's clear that when Thorin denies them anything at the beginning, um, at the beginning of their request, he's being unjust. I mean, he's... Oh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's obvious that they have right on their side in the appeals that Bard is making. So that sounds this, to me this like... This makes it more explicit. Exactly. This sounds to me like the right. film just trying to make that... Um, make sure there can be no question about whether about whether or not Thorin is in the wrong when he denies right. them any treasure, um, but he clearly was. Um, he clearly was in, in in the wrong in the books anyhow. Um, but uh, um, so I. But the thing that would disappoint me is I, I would kind of prefer the story that says Bard supports them and helps them, and then. Uh, they are, are like it's Thorns ingratitude is the more heavily emphasized, you know. So um, uh, that I think would be um, would be kind of interesting, um, but it, a little it, more personal. Exactly. But if he, if it's just like I was against them from the beginning, I said they would bring doom, and then they did bring doom, and then now I'm out for revenge. Is you know, so I'm gonna besiege them or whatever. That strikes me as a slightly less interesting story, but again, who knows? You know, it might it might perhaps maybe be a little bit more interesting than what I just described. Um, 
So, yeah, Scott, exactly. I hope they don't make it too black and white. That's what I'm sort of hoping there, too. Um, because yeah, it's one I of the really interesting be things. Out for revenge, actually. I mm-hmm. mean, I think he'd be more out to to get what the people of Bard or the people of uh, Laytown, I'm sorry, are, are owed. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. There's, you know, D does look pretty strong here, but um, but I think there's a lot there, both of Bard's position in Lake Town and his relationship with the company, that um, you know, is still going to be very interesting to watch. Okay, Riddle Seven: What will Bolg's role be in The Hobbit? Desolation of Smaug. <laughs> Back in our wild, cheerful, and optimistic days, when you know we thought yeah. that Bolg would exist and stuff. Um, uh, Where's E? He d- he does not exist. Well, D would count. He has no defined I guess role. D would count. Yeah. That's right. Um, uh, yeah, and of course this was this was before things had gotten to quite the advanced state of Bolg skepticism uh, that they have uh, arrived at now, where we're beginning to question the existence of Bolg at all. Um, but uh, we're still wondering what is, you know, if he is going to come in, what's he going to do? Um, what did I say? B? Yeah, you know, I still think B is... I still think Bolg may show up. Um, what I kind of suspect is, in particular, because they did all the design. You know, they have this really cool orc chieftain that they've designed. And it seems to me really strange that they wouldn't even, even if they don't make a big deal of it, you know, even if they don't like, this is Bolg, son of Azog, and he has this complicated backstory, even if they don't do that, even if they don't expect us to learn his name, but just bring him in at some point doing something. Doing something. Um, I would, anyway, I don't know. But um, maybe I'm just rationalizing. And, you know, looking back on it, I can't really remember why Bolg has become one of my fixations. Like, why is it? <laughs> like, when did I begin to weep for the omission of Bolg? Like, why does that uh, I'm in the same boat. Well, I'm just bummed because, well, you know, one of the reasons is they built him up so much last year. Remember, he was even the centerpiece of a movie poster. Yes. Yes. You know? And then yeah, that's right. Just, I forgot about that gone, But they haven't even referred to him. I mean, they have it's like as if they're just ignoring that they ever said any or implied anything about the guy. Yeah. 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 It's so annoying. Yeah. Oh, well. <sighs> Alas, poor Bolg. <laughs> we barely <laughs> knew you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I still hope he pops up, and I predicted Dol Guldur, and that's still what I will pop up, since Azog seems to have the away missions all taken care of. Uh, but but, we're, but what you do also have to recognize that he, uh, the D could be end up being the reality. <laughs> yeah. Certainly it's the favorite at this point. Um, oh, yeah, Scott yeah. wants us to write the lay of Bolg. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Um, we'll have to do that. Yeah, Erica's. We'll do dis- that at Myth Moot. We'll have an impromptu session <laughs> with right. John DiBartolo. That's right. Yeah, perhaps we could have John and uh, you know maybe in, in our yeah. sing along on Friday oh. night we can do an extemporaneous, <laughs> the, the lament for Bolg. There we go. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. We'll, we'll we'll definitely plan that. I'll, I'll, I'll warn him. I'll see if we can warn him ahead of time. Exactly. May end up being getting this request. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, Riddle 8. I'm trying to push us through with slightly more efficiency. How will the Hobbit Desolation of Smaug begin? Action continues in real time, either with the company or somewhere else. Return to the frame narrative of old Bilbo at Bag End, a flashback or exposition. I believe that I, with infinite sagacity, said a flashback. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. I still think mm. that's likely. We, yes, you did. Well, indications appear that to be going like that that's direction. What it's gonna be. Hey, I almost never have indications going in my direction, so I'm. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, Scott. We should explain the difference there between exposition and uh, the others. Exposition means in real time. So again, the film is going to start presumably you know, round about Bjorn, right? So as far as the real time of the film to continue the continuation from the previous film. So exposition would be the film begins with them sitting around and talking about stuff and giving us some kind of story or backstory to set up what's about to happen. So um, it exposition means characters sitting around talking in real time um, about stuff. Um, as opposed to Coming in with uh, with a with a with a scene um, from earlier on. I mean, like for instance, uh, thinking back to the Lord of the Rings films, both film one and film or both film two and film three begin with flashbacks. Um, right. The 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 Smeagol and Diagol flashback in film three, and the Gandalf and the Balrog flashback. In film one, in film two, and film one was an exposition, right? Film one, would film be an one, exposition with yes. Talking. yes, yes, yes. And actually, the Hobbit: Unexpected Journey is exposition, isn't it? That's Bilbo doing the narration. Um. Well, that's the frame narrative, isn't it? Didn't. Well, he tells the Erebor story. Begin with that. You're right. You're right. Holy cow! Yeah, I mean, How am I forgetting this? What is the very are... opening scene? What's the very first thing we see in the in the first Hobbit film? Why am I blanking on this? He, isn't he sitting at his book and talking about um, a, a civilization that doesn't exist anymore? And, starts and he doesn't start. He doesn't. It doesn't start out within the hole in the ground. There, there was a Hobbit. That starts. He starts that later. Doesn't he tell the story of the dwarves yes. first? He tells the story of the dwarves. Yeah. Shows him writing it down. I mean, he opens. Yeah, Scott says it starts with him lighting a candle. Right, exactly. In other words, it starts in the frame. We don't immediately get. I mean, like film three is starting with a flashback, where like the first thing that comes up on on screen is what Smeagol holding a worm, right, to to put it on his hook and 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 go fishing. Right, right. Or Diggle doing that. so yeah, it starts with Bilbo lighting a candle. In other words, it starts starts with the frame. That doesn't start with. Uh, uh, oh, so even though the actual, uh, so there's no the actual dialogue. I mean, the actual sound yes. is actually an exposition. You're going with the visual was the frame narrative. So I would. The I mean, for one yeah. would have been B. I think so. That's how, if I were a judge, which I'm not, that's what I would have said (laughs) about film one. (laughs) But... David, David is going to be so sorry he's missed this. He's just missing the opportunity to do to influence the judges. Well, see, the, the reason this is all fun, this is all perfectly good fun before I've seen the film, is that 
when I'm making arguments like this, I'm just as likely to be, uh, you right. know, That's right. giving ammunition against myself as for myself. <laughs> uh, now, see, if I was a judge, I would say exposition because of the fact that the, the oral, A-U-R-A-L right. story begins with exposition. So, you know, that's my two cents. So. Yeah. I already expect a 50-page document from Dave anyway, well, Brianna says. It's a, good thing <laughs> yes. not, it's a good thing they're not judging film one. So. Exactly. Exactly. Film yes, two will yes. be a little clearer. Well, I'm clearer, I'm sort of wondering. Yeah. You know, one of the things which is a little bit confusing to me is the material from the trailers, which is from the first the 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 the, 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 the footage that has been in all of the trailers for the second film, which is actually footage from the first film. That is the attack of Smaug on Dale, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which we've gotten a great deal of footage of repeatedly. In every trailer in the, for the second for the film. Second trailer, film. Yeah. And yeah. does this mean, as I almost think it has to mean, that we're going to get a, a record, we're going to get some of that footage again in the second film? Why would they show it if it weren't second film footage? And the fact that it's also in the first film. I, I don't know. I, you know. Well, I'm thinking that that's actually going to be later in the film, much like they did As an Old Bazaar. Remember how As an Old Bazaar was a. Was a Flash, you know, told later in the film by right. by Balin. I mean, because in the soundtrack we have Geary and Lord of Dale, but it's later in the soundtrack. You know, that title is later in the soundtrack, and I've always been thinking that those Dale sequences might be a- attached to that part of the soundtrack. Although I don't necessarily know that the soundtrack, what's on the CD, necessarily follows the order of the movie. But anyway, right? Yeah, um, Erica says if it's a flashback with voiceover, then it's exposition, right? Yes, it is. Uh, you know, again, like the Goadriel's thing, <laughs> Goadriel's thing is exposition. Yeah. But but again, the the two towers and the Return of the King both start with flashback. You know, with right. with no explanation. Yeah, just putting us into those mm-hmm. scenes and showing us live action shots of something that happened earlier. Um, but yeah, Scott, I agree with Scott, uh, Bard having flashbacks of Dale or something like that would be interesting. Um, I could see that happening. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But, um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it was interesting. It was interesting how they kind of tried to have it both ways by including clips in the trailers which were from the yeah. first film, but were only in the extended edition of the first film, like right. the dude shooting the ballista, <laughs> in particular, mm-hmm. was not in the theatrical release, but was in the extended edition, and was in the trailers before they released the extended edition. So it's like they were double-dipping <laughs> with that. You know, we thought it was in the second film, but it turns out it was in the first film. Maybe they're going to reshow it. I don't know, but I- I've been puzzled by Very that. clever, Mr. Bond. Yeah, I know. That was pretty good. Uh, Riddle 9, how will the political and economic relationship between Lake Town and the Elves of Mirkwood be portrayed? They have a trading agreement, wine or other commodities via barrels, etc., and are political allies. Though, as we've pointed out, the river stretch in between the Elven (laughs) King's Halls and Lake Town does not look excellent for riverbound trade anymore. Uh, But whatever. Uh, It's going to be a pretty... pretty Pretty low profits from those Trade agreement via to... ballista, Erica says. Yes, exactly. Or trebuchet. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it is, you have, to, you have to admit, it's more efficient to just huck things with a trebuchet than to send them down <laughs> the right. rapids. Empty barrels. Yeah. yeah they, just, they just shoot them back they up. They just shoot them. Especially if they land they in the lake, and, you know. Yeah, that's right. To that's me, right. it's looking more like sea 
Yeah, they are allied the but moment. have no trading agreement. Yeah. Um, so it's you know, do they have are they are they allies and and do they have a trading agreement? This might seem like a an, a strange and perversely specific and nitpicking riddle. Um, like of all of our riddles, I think this is the one which sort of seems less obviously earth shaking than any of the rest of them. Like one might perhaps perhaps there are people out there. I would not be one such, but perhaps there are people out there who are saying, um, who on earth cares whether they have a trade agreement with the men of Lake Town? Um, the reason that I think this is an important question. I, th- I think Trish and I said that in Digest. So. Yeah, you probably did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> The point Scott is, calls, Scott, it's a Dave riddle. Dave, had, <laughs> this was this is a Dave Kale riddle. He Dave, wanted this Dave. riddle in there. It was a Dave yeah. riddle. But the point is, I like it because it's to me, it's it really sets the stage importantly for the Battle of Five Armies, and yeah, with the way that we saw, and and I was, um, I, you know, I was particularly particularly curious about this coming out of film one and before we'd seen any of the previews for film two because we'd seen a lot of the Elven King Um, and it was pretty clear that the Elven King's status was going to be uh, you know if not uh, if not elevated at least maintained and probably elevated and um, how are they going to make the relation how are they going to depict the relationship between Lake Town and the elves are they going to be is it going to be like one of them is a junior partner slash servant of the other um how are they going to be because to me it has an enormous implication for uh the siege of the lonely mountain um who's going to be really driving the bus and this is probably going to be i probably won't frame it exactly phrase it exactly like that but a season three riddle is probably going to be something like who's driving the bus at the siege of Erebor? is it is it bard is it thranduil um are they really in partnership are they not i mean is is thranduil using the lake men and bard as as puppets uh, is is uh, you know is bard just exploiting the elven king for you know what's going on there and i think that the what what the relations are initially between Lake Town and the Elven King um, are, are going to be, I think, an important influence on how they are related to each other later on. So, um, and and whether or not they're allies, whether whether or not they're allies matters because I mean, if it's like a hey, you know, because basically that could be an actual cause for justification on Thranduil's part. You know, hey, like, you caused the destruction of our allies. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so well, The other thing is, is you know, I mean, they, D could be right. I mean, they could end up showing up at the Battle of Five Armies completely independently of one another. Right. Right. Exactly. In which case, we could end up with something like a three-way standoff rather than a two-way standoff yeah. with the elves and, and, yeah. and, and men on one side. So, I mean, you know, I, I assume that all of this is, um, you know, going to be, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll have some better sense of this um, by the end of the second film, though I still don't think it's going to be obvious. But Brian Biggs, by the way, about the ballista thing we were talking about, you know, the trailers, he does point out that they, sh- they showed the scene of the ring being cut from Sauron's hand about 47 times. <laughs> Yes, yes, but, Lord of the Rings. but still, like Sauron has the ring cut from his hand, and some dude shoots a ballista are clearly on two different levels. You know, <laughs> that misses. 
He shoots a ballista that misses the dragon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, I mean, it's not that it's not important. I mean, clearly the shooting of the ballista up at the dragon is, is foreshadowing of Bard and everything. And, you know, it's all good. But, but yeah, I mean, there's a difference in status there. Now, actually, back to Riddle 9, Scott does make a point, and I agree, they really are portraying Thranduil as a real isolationist. I mean, to the point of almost being in denial about there being anything beyond his borders. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder, you know, if that's if that's really how he's being portrayed, then I would imagine that D could very well be, you know, totally the answer, because he's just not... How they get their wine and stuff, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, and then that's going to have really fascinating implications uh, for the Battle of Five Armies. I mean, I think that'll, right. be, that'll be really interesting. But that's exactly why I'm going to be paying attention to this because I think um, I, how how things play out um, at the end is going to. I think that that this 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 is going to play a significant role. Now, Jackson uh, released a production vlog last week, and I think it really is the first vlog I've seen where he, where Stephen Fry had any decent amount of, of you know, time on screen in the, in, the blo- in the vlog. And Jackson, of course, you know, he's always got his tongue so firmly in his cheek, but he says something, well, he's sitting at a table with Stephen Fry, who's in costume, and he turns to the camera and he says something like, now you're going to be getting a lot of, you know, political and, uh, you know, sociopolitical, uh, you know, uh, education in this portion of the movie. So I was, it was kind of interesting. First of all, I thought of this question. And second oh, yeah. of all, it's like, okay, this is going to be kind of an interesting thing. So I don't know what he means by that. Probably that means that, you know, he, the, the guy is totally corrupt and, you know, it's, it's like a dictatorial society and stuff. But anyway, so. Yeah. Well, we, Trisha and I did learn about the Hanseatic League when, and when we were doing the digest on this. That's stuff. right. That's right. Oh God. Well, there you go. It's, wasn't that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that interesting? Aren't you sorry you don't listen to the Digest, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have. I haven't listened to all of them. I have. I have. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Do a little quality control check there, right? <laughs> all right. Okay, Riddle 10. How and when will Bilbo oh reveal the ring? Unanimous here. Yes. I mean, I must point out we have unanimous. Yes, it's co-hosts. one of our very few unanimous riddles. So, how will he reveal the ring? He voluntarily reveals it before the barrel escape. Book answer. It is revealed against his will before the barrel escape. He voluntarily reveals it after. It is revealed against his will after. He does not reveal the ring at all in the Desolation of Smaug. So, another quadrant riddle. Again, the two questions. Um, if they find out about it, does he tell them about it? Or does it? do they find out against his will somehow? And if... So, when does it happen? Before or after the barrel escape? So, yeah, we all said he... Yeah, I, we talked this through quite a bit, I remember. And, yeah. Um, he finally came to the conclusion that he probably doesn't reveal it at all. And also, we kind of said, I remember us saying something like, unlike in the Rankin-Bass, where he actually has it in a little case up on his mantelpiece, in the book... Gandalf is only the only one who knows about the ring. Is I mean, even the dwarves never do know about the ring. Do they? No, no, he does tell them. He tell he tells them in the book. Oh, he does tell them. That's right. He does. Yeah. That's right. He tells That's them right. about it. That's right. Um, That's right. But it's still, you know, I mean, the fact is, it seems likeliest still that Gandalf. If somebody else is going to figure it out, it's got to be Gandalf, right? I mean, it's yeah, hard to right. imagine one of the dwarves just picking up on this, unless. They're going to arrange a moment 
an action-related moment, which is how it happens in the book, remember, where Bilbo's mm-hmm. going to use the ring in a place where the dwarves are going to be around, you know, where he can't, you know, there's no, there's no, like, phone booth for him to step into in order to put on the <laughs> ring or take it off, and so therefore he's got to, um, you know, and is, is some sequence with the dragon, could this happen? You know, I, I can imagine that occurring. Um, but the thing is, I don't know where... I don't feel like I have any sense. Of course, it would be difficult to at this stage. And, you know, again, this is another thing that I'm going to be uh, focusing on a lot is the depiction of the of the ring in this film. I don't know yeah. where the ring plot is headed in the in these movies. I don't know what the end state... I mean, in a sense, we do know what the end state is because we've seen the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. But I don't know, you know, is there going to be some kind of culmination? Is he going to be discovered? Is Gandalf going to figure it out? Is 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 there going to be some kind of ring-related crisis or anything? You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like the ring is obviously a more prominent thing, and we have Jackson's word given at other times that he it's going to be, it's going to start influencing and affecting Bilbo more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be, this is, is going to be one of the really, I think this will be one of the really interesting topics. I mean, we are going to have to have, like we did last year, sort of a, a after the fact, riddles in the dark, you know, before we start year three. You know, yeah. wrap up of our thoughts, and I think this is going to be one of the really interesting topics. I, I I would expect to see some development of the ring as a character further in this movie and its effect on Bilbo. Yep, yeah, yeah, and just how to? I mean, um, you know, Scott Farmer brings up that, yeah, Scott Farmer brings up the fact that there are potential continuity issues. You know that uh, you know Scott says audiences might find it might think it odd if Gandalf finds out about the ring and doesn't worry about it for sixty years. Um, right. Especially since we find out that Sauron's back at this point. Yes. Um, but then again, if it doesn't culminate with Gandalf finding out about it, what does it culminate in? Nothing. It's possible. Right. Maybe it's just sort of an ominous thing that Bilbo has this like dark secret and, you know, we see him going back home with that dark secret and nobody ever knowing. And we end up you know, it back in the Shire at the end of film three with like ominous forebodings, possibly, I don't know. But, um, but as I say, that's what I mean. I don't have any clear sense of what, what the, what the fun, what the goal, what the end of this, of this particular plot arc is. Well, and Scott also brings up the fact that of course, Saruman might keep up, you know, the, the lie about the wrong ring washing away. But if, if you think about again, you know, the way that, um, like you've said a couple times, the way that Gandalf practically fawns about Saruman in the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, yeah. and if if he thinks that Saruman is still a good guy, and that Saruman is the ring sort of expert, and then you know he's concerned about this ring of, of, of Bilbo's, you know, you'd think he would have said something to Saruman long before, which yeah. would then make Saruman go, well, wait a minute, maybe this is the one ring. I, so, you're right, I think there's a lot of, and I'll bet you Jackson leaves it ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, there's a lot of ambiguity around there. Yeah, no, if, if Saruman had heard about that, he might have called off, you know, the orcs with the snorkels. Uh, That's before, right. Before Get now. the hookers out of the river. Exactly. Okay, okay. Moving along. Hustling with great efficiency. Riddle 11. <laughs> 
What is Thorne's attitude toward Bilbo at the end of The Hobbit Desolation of Smaug? A. Ever-increasing trust and dependence upon his judgment. That is the book answer. Um, B. Private suspicions and tensions between them. Because remember, tensions do not grow between Bilbo and Thorin until after uh, the siege begins, basically. I mean, it's not until the it's not until the Arkenstone issue comes in that there starts being problems. Right. Um, okay, private suspicions and tensions between them. Open resistance to Bilbo and his ideas, but not quite outright hostility. D, outright hostility, a rapidly approaching descendant of rats and throwing him down from the walls. Um, so, uh, and again, that we, we talked a lot here about what exactly constitute the distinctions between our different answers here. Um, you know, tensions and private suspicions mean, like, we see Thorin giving him dubious glances or... Bilbo looking nervously at them, but they're still, the things that they say to each other are still openly in accord with each other. The difference between C and D, as we conceived it, was um, D is Thorin speaking of Bilbo as an enemy, maybe, I don't know, drawing his sword against him or something, that would probably <laughs> constitute outright hostility, if you that were to happen. <laughs> and C... <laughs> Unlikely, though that may appear, that, that might constitute D. Uh, open resistance to Bilbo, but not quite outright hostility, would just be like Thorin making remarks, but you know, not treating Bilbo like an enemy, not speaking of him as if he were an enemy, um, but um, uh, but I get just being resistant. Bilbo says, you know, hey, we should do this, or you know, by, and and Thorin saying, you know, and, and Thorin saying no. Thorin kind of bristling, maybe feeling like his. Uh, his leadership is being, um, you know, is being impugned by Bilbo, but not, um, but but again, Thorin not actually um, speaking of him as an enemy or condemning him. So, what do we think from the trailers? Would that be C or D? It's looking like D at this point, but yeah. again, hard to say. I trailer would say disclaimer because you know. Yeah. If he's nice to him all the rest of the time. (laughs) And only draws a sword on him once. Does that really count as hostility? I mean, you know, know, anybody could draw your sword on somebody once. Maybe he's trying to, to, like, save him from something, you know, by drawing his sword and barring his way. I mean, who knows? True, you never Um, know. That's right. I I get the impression that that Thorin's, how Thorin relates to Bilbo is going to be very tightly connected to his descent into madness. Dragon sickness, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. Because apparently, given his conversation with Balin, I guess he he starts to objectify Bilbo as just the burglar. The burglar. He stops yeah. being. He stops being like a friend or a or even a being to him anymore. Yes. And is he uh, going to treat the the other dwarves that way too? Yeah, interesting. So I and again, I don't know. I mean, I think this is going to be a toughie for the judges actually yep. to determine. Me too. I think this so is going to be one God of the I'm hardest. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that tough. I think it's going to be D. <laughs> well, but since so I've given since I've given C, wait, I should think of some more arguments in advance for why <laughs> why it would count as C instead of. Let me clarify C a little bit more fully, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> pulling a sword is not quite 
outright. No, 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 because he's not actually going to attack him. In such a loving way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you're right. I mean, we haven't quite gotten down to the d- descendant of rats, at least from what we can tell in the trailer. Exactly. You know, he's become a useful tool. Yeah. You know, is that outright hostility or not? I don't know. I mean, that's what's we don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. It could still be seen. Absolutely, could totally. I mean, I definitely, we're definitely going to see outright hostility, but I think that's going to not be until I personally think it's not going to be until movie three. Oh, absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Okay, well, since we've pretty much settled that, that obviously you know, C he's, is he's the dominant candidate. What answers? Yeah, what answers we gave? He's like, oh, let me scroll this down. So yeah, exactly. No, because there's no special <laughs> pleading at all going on here. I just want to make that perfectly clear. <clears throat> Number twelve. As we're moving on, how many times will Bilbo enter the dragon's horde by way of the secret door in the Hobbit Desolation of Smaug? Okay, three times is the book answer. Two, one, or more than three. Or more than now, I believe, didn't we, we didn't specify this in the way it's written, but we were talking about Bilbo entering alone, not with the dwarves. We didn't specify that, but, you know, I think, um, I, I think it's fine, actually. Like, I, I think that... You think it's okay? I think I mean, it's it fine. count even if the dwarves are with him? Yeah, okay. even if the dwarves are with him. Um, because basically, the, the, the point of the question is basically how the story with Smaug is going to unfold. You know, you have... Right. Um, I mean, in the book, you have he goes down as burglar. Uh, you know, the the three different trips down have very different narrative functions. The first is Bilbo crossing that threshold, is that major turning point for Bilbo, just to have the courage to walk with open eyes into a dragon's den, and he steals a cup. He 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 there accomplishes what he was hired for. That's, of course, also the point at which they discover and realize that what they hired him for is completely pointless. But nevertheless, he accomplishes what he was hired for in that moment. It's a big deal. The second time is when he goes down to have his conversation with Smaug, which is obviously also a big deal, though a different kind of big deal from the first time. And then, of course, it's when they go down to stay. So so the the question is, how are they going to handle that? And, And... both with Bilbo's character development and with, you know, the relationships with Smaug. And to be clear, it's in just in this movie. Yes. Not yes. in both movies. Right. In this one and the next one. Right. So. right. I, I don't... Yeah, just in this movie, that's right. It's only the, I don't think they'll make that little Beowulfian moment of stealing the, cult, the cup. Yeah. Um, I would separate. not be surprised to see I him pick up a cup, just, but... Yeah, I think they're just going to compress that. Oh, we did, didn't we see that? He picks up a cup and that's then that causes a little avalanche and that's what wakes the dragon up. I thought we saw that in a trailer or something. Maybe, oh. something like that. But but I agree as far as, you know, Laura, as far as having that as a separate episode like that. Right, you know, right, right. Yeah. One thing that I think... Yana reminds me that we did say in the episode that it actually could be uh, dwarf uh, accompanied. And I think that was one of the reasons that I said two is because I think he goes in by himself once, bring the, the dwarves go in with him a second time, and only in this, mo- you know, in this movie. Um, but I guess, actually, once they go in, they probably stay. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's going to be... that. That's, to me, going to be sort of the confounding factor. Um of course, one thing that we didn't weren't really thinking about at the time, the secret door is the way into leads directly into Smaug's lair in the book. If in the movie the secret door does not lead directly into Smaug's lair, then obviously the sensible thing for them to do um, 
is to sneak all of them, go in through the secret right. door, um, right. find some place they can fortify in within Erebor itself, and then send Bilbo out from there, in which case he'd only be going in through the secret door once, because that's the way in, and then they stay in once they're in. Um, so it may be that, that they go one. in that, that direction. Would, that answer would be one. Yeah. That answer would be so one, that, In that yeah. case, the answer would be one, yeah. 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 E- even if he did make more than one foray to the Horde at that point, the answer would technically would be, be one. One could argue yeah. for the spirit of the law rather than the letter. <laughs> in that case, especially if he approaches yeah. the Horde, say, twice, uh, which well, I think you, is a... you answered two. Did I? Oh, well, yes. I must have done that because that's such a sensible thing to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dave answered. Dave and Laura answered one. Dave and Laura answered seven. Yeah. So oh, well, I see. Think it's going to be one. That's, that's... I, think it's gonna, I think it'll be two overall, but I think it's going to be just the one time. Okay. In this movie. In this movie. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll come back with that and think of ways I can try to influence Brianna more. Um, and, and the question isn't about him leaving by the secret door. It's going in by the secret door. Going in door. by so the secret door. So if he goes door. out by the secret door, it doesn't count. That's right. It doesn't count. Okay. All right. After which major plot event will the second film end? A, the death of the dragon. Uh, the reason, of course, we chose that is the book answer, though, of course, there's no technical book answer to where the second film ends. But, um, <laughs> of course, I was thinking of that scene where Bilbo thinks that with the death of the dragon, the adventure was properly speaking over, that right. the book points to the death of the dragon as an, as an end point of sorts, or at least as an apparent end point. So that's why I sort of half-jokingly chose that as the book answer. The death of the dragon, Smaug leaves for Eskaroth, the battle of Dol Guldur, the siege of the Lonely Mountain by men and elves, or something completely different. That's the Monty Python answer. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I still think it's going to be B. Smaug leaves. Well, you know, Brianna, Brianna said she should have done B for this one, and, you know, I, I think the same thing, you know, that overthought it. But you know what? I, I I, I, I joke, half-jokingly say that Corey influenced me to change my mind because through all of year one and up until this time, I had been thinking B and then I changed it to A. But the thing is, it's kind of what you just said is what made me change my mind, is the fact that in the book, this is kind of an ending. Right. You know, the death of the dragon is actually an ending in the book. Um, and I just thought, you know, if I was the screenwriter and I'm writing a second movie and you want the audience to have some kind of a completion in the end of the second movie, this would be the completion. And that's really what made me change my mind to A. And, yeah, except uh, then it seems like you're taking a lot away from the third movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, except for the, the name of the third movie is Battle of Five Armies. So it's about battle. And I think you've got yeah. the Battle of Dol Guldur as your, as your bridge between the two movies. So I don't think you need the dragon still alive in the beginning of the third movie to have people come back to it. So anyway... And with I, the way there's the, arguments for both. Right. Well, and with I'm the not going to come back if they kill the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the way that they've depicted the Elven King and Lake Town, I mean, there are lots of opportunities. That, and frankly, I right. think that this is where we're going to see that shot of the Goblin armies marching. One of the primary reasons that I think that is not Dol Guldur, but Gundabad, is that I think we're going to the final sequence, just as the first film ended with Smaug opening his eye to tell us that the dragon was going to be film two, I think we're going to see the goblin army marching off to the Lonely Mountain at the end. I think that that the dragon is going to die. We're going to get the word spreading of the death of dragon 
of the death of the dragon by bird and bat and whatnot um, at the end of the film. And then we're going to start seeing pieces in motion. You know, like the orcs are going to set out. Bjorn is going to set out. Um, right. We're going to see the elven army marching um, so that it's clear that like some, some climax is coming. So I, I, I expect that that's where we're going to actually end. Um, now, er- Erica asks a really good question, and I think this is a good clarification. If the Battle of Dol Guldur is the big conclusion of the movie, but then the very last scene is Smaug leaving for Esgaroth, is it B or C or both? Um, it, it, that would be B. If Smaug leaving for Esgaroth is the climax of it, we we, we put that in it's, in it's some ways. It's the major plot event. That's right. the whole point of this question. It's the major plot event. Right. So, it, 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 it doesn't have to be this is going to be the very last thing you see, like the equivalent of Smaug right. opening his eye at the end of the right. at the end of the first film. Um, it's the last major plot event. Now Smaug leaving for Esgaroth is of the other, you know, of the first four there, obviously it's the le- least significant plot moment. I mean, it's not a climactic event, Smaug taking off and going to Esgaroth. The only reason we put it in is that it seemed a likely ending point um, right. to approximately 50% of us. Well, when we talked about this and we said if we'd asked this question in movie one, the answer would have been the scene with the fir trees. Yes. That's the major plot yes. event. That's Out the of the frying pan into event. the fire would have been right. would have been the answer for film one. Or yes. the, eagle, the eagles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, the eagle rescue. Yeah, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna do. Um, the, they're gonna show the the uh, armies massing for the battle of five armies, um, because I don't think those those armies those orc armies are for the battle of Dol Guldur. I think that's nope. gonna be more of a wizard battle. Yep. Um, but uh, but I think it's gonna be the armies mass or the armies massing and Smaug leaving for. I think that it's going to you know, be that actually brings up a question in my mind. I know that the orc armies, the goblin armies in the book, come from the Misty Mountains, but I'm wondering if they're going to change that, and I wonder if the orc armies in the movies are actually going to be coming from Dol Guldur. Yeah. It seems likely. Because well, if you think about it, I mean, you know, the, el- the goblin. goblin kings died. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. not... And, and those you warriors... You don't get the sense of those goblins being goblins. as... Yeah. Right, exactly. So basically, what we have here is Sauron as commander making a really boneheaded tactical error. <laughs> you know, so like this is like this is like Sauron's equivalent of Napoleon invading Russia, essentially. You know, like he sends <laughs> off his whole army of goblins just in time to have you know Gandalf and Galadriel show up with the hedgehogs, and he's defenseless. Um, well, or I was even yeah. thinking post. Post Guldur, post Battle of Dol Guldur, Sauron's already gone to Mordor, and his. You I was going to say his whole idea off. is to go to Mordor, so he doesn't really care yeah. about. Dor- so he's Dol just Guldur. covering his retreat. Yeah, the yeah, Lonely Mountain is just a diversionary yeah. tactic. Possibly, possibly that I could see. I could see that more than what would appear to be incompetence as a general. Um, but uh, that know. could be. He could be doing it as a diversionary tactic, and the whole thing about the White Council showing up could be a surprise for him. You know that maybe he's thinking he's going to attract everybody's attention away from Dol Guldur by sending off the army, and you know he's surprised by. The well, fact and that I don't think he thinks he's going to lose up at the Lonely Mountain either. Right, right. Well, but of course, you see, this is another big question, though. And he may not know that the dragon's dead either. He may be sending him to Aid Smaug. But he might not also be intending to go to Mordor. I mean, we know that's where he's going to go. Uh, that's true. And in the book, that's, that's his plan all along. But it's not obvious. 
necessarily in the right. film that that would be the. I mean, it might be that like. Oh, he's definitely planning on going. I mean, that's what Darth Vader is, and that's where we don't have a whole lot Mount, of Sauron. Mount really. Doom is. <laughs> I think. I think he's. I think they'll make a case for him. That's his. That's really his more built-out real estate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Especially exactly. since what we've seen of Dogolder so exactly. far. Yeah. Yeah. That's like just the summer castle. Dogolder is kind of a fixer-upper. I mean, of course, so is Baradur, <laughs> but. You know, it's got more potential. But Dumbledore's more more open air than Baradur is. Yeah, you know, it might be nice for a change, or at least, though, perhaps as you say, Laura, more yeah. of a summer house. It's like a more of a summer. Like, it like is. A it's like where the Pope goes in the summer. Exactly. And then yeah. Back yeah. Back it's almost exactly like him. that. Yeah. Okay. And don't Stop write in about plays that. Gorgoroth <laughs> starting to get stale. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You do need a change. Uh, okay, we're we're almost there. Okay, what role will Toriel play in the escape of Thorin and company from the Elven Dungeons? Here we get to the Toriel riddle that I alluded oh, yeah, to before. She plays no role. Uh, she tries to prevent them. She turns a blind eye, but doesn't take any action. That's what I was describing earlier. Um, and she takes an active part in their escape. And of course, you see, I was describing it earlier because I find it so very, <laughs> very compelling and plausible that that's in fact what she's going to do. <laughs> but since I and said I, A for the other know, one, I don't think a, she's going to actually talk. Living in a complete fantasy well, world, I think okay. it's an active part. Here's a question. I mean, after they've already escaped, yeah, is that thwarting the escape? I mean, the barrel, the barrel escape, is that still the escape, or is it escaping once they're out from the dungeons? Of, from the dungeons. The question is from the dungeons. That's yeah. The once the, the barrels hit the water, it's 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 open season at that point. You know, it's the question okay. about how they get from their cells. Into barrels, barrels, yeah, gotcha. and into the water. Like, and you know, the fight in the trees look as look as looks as much like a battle with the orcs, yeah, as it does. You know, it might even not necessarily be oriented totally toward the. Dwarves, but you see the know. barrels going through the water underneath the elves. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, I don't do. necessarily believe that it's Toriel shooting at them. Right. Mm-hmm. Could be Legolas shooting at them. The elves he could seems be to shooting be at the orcs. Jerk, but but Toriel yeah, is with them. Right, Toriel is with them. But like you said, she's going to have to save face anyway. I mean, she's not going to be able to stay behind and go. Oh, I just helped him escape. I don't want to. You know, I I don't want to. She I mean, she's the captain of the guard, so she has yep. to at least keep up the pretense. Well, I think she might be sympathetic to the dwarves, but I don't think she's going to go as far as to help them in the escape. I think it's just going to be Bilbo. I think I think she's she's going to turn a blind eye. That's what I think. Eye. I'm still, I'm still weakly rooting for the active role, and the active part would be something like she gets the keys and gives them to Bilbo. That's like an right. Active role. Or as Jeanne was pointing out, uh, she gets the other elves drunk uh, for them. Yeah, would, <laughs> right for them. Yes, be, yeah. yes. Yeah. We have seen drunk, uh, drunk. Uh, and, okay. and you know, I know when we did the digest on this, there was a lot of talk about the fact that uh, a lot of folks, and I think Laura's in this camp, and I think you are, um, that it would be too, it would be too. Um, disloyal to her king for her to go that far that the most yes. she would do is turn a blind eye but she would not actively you know in any way that she could be discovered take a, a, a role you know in the escape and i can kind of you know i can understand that but i'm still in a we, we shall see mode because she it, seems like she's pretty fiery and kind of a little bit it would be pretty extreme uh, and of course you're not really taking into account there how her loyalty to her king might be counterbalanced by the extreme dreaminess of Keeley. 
she wouldn't be the first elf maiden to just lose her head there and do oh, something right, crazy. Uh, this is true. So, this is true. And I've actually yeah. seen some references to this uh-huh. issue. Uh, yeah. So I'm it's, telling it's you. It's not just... And it's yeah. Goodness. I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling you. No, Poor it's Toriel, a... she's the she's the only woman, so she gets to be the focus of everybody's attention. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I've long said that basically, like Jackson is in a completely no-win situation with Toriel. I mean, there's just like no way that can end well. Um, no, no. It's like he, he, people are going to hate it no matter what happens. But anyway, actually, you know, I I've, I've been I like really Toriel. surprised. Him. There's like been a fairly Toriel. benign reception. Yeah, I mean, there's. A lot of folks are fairly, you know, pretty thumbs up, even some of the more hardcore folks. So, Well, this is another thing that they've been so clever about all along. I mean, they, they, though, though, of course, there was no reason for them to talk about it as early as they did. Um, they talked about it a long time ago. So everyone's really used to the idea now. I mean, we've... Yeah. We've been yeah. thinking about Toriel for two years, so and and everyone yeah. had lots of opportunity to imagine the worst, and so now almost anything, almost anything they see is going to be less bad than the horror show they imagined when they first announced We've it. We've been pounded into submission. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and even the thing with Keeley, I mean, when that was first alluded to, everyone was like, right. "Oh my gosh!" And now you know, now I can joke about it with barely a twinge. I, yeah, yeah, I would just kind yeah. of find it funny, but um, anyway, we'll see. Initially, we had a pretty pretty violent reaction, as I did with the Tombs of the Nazgul, and I can now yeah. say that phrase without well, shuddering. And then in exactly. the extended edition, Keeley is sort of making eyes at the elves in Rivendell. So that's right. I figured that was a setup. You know, when he did that in yeah. Rivendell, I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, we are going to have a Toriel Keeley thing go on. Right. At the very least, he's going to think she's hot. It m- might not go past that. Right. Yeah, clearly. Right. Well, she'll be like, you know, I can't have Legolas, but here's somebody I could That's have. right. <laughs> he's not as tall, but he's available. Yeah. And, you know, well, we're going to get to this in a conundrum, but I don't necessarily know that she's got a thing for Legolas. I mean, we do know that Legolas has a thing for her, given what Thranduil says to her. But oh, right. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really been told that she has a thing for Legolas back. So anyway, yes. We'll talk about that in a little while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm still holding out hope that she and Legolas don't have that kind of a really cliched star-crossed so romance thing tropey, going on. Yes, know. exactly. Um, it's not even a trope; it's a cliche. It is. It is. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it can still be a trope if done well, I suppose. I always thought but, I always yeah. think of a trope somewhere between a stereotype and a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> so, somewhere in there, you know. A proven formula that works for audiences. I guess you're right. Tropey is actually Trope, trope, yes, exactly. Okay, what connection will exist between Sauron and the armies of orcs? There won't be any explicit connection. Pay no attention to the... That's the book answer, but it seems (laughs) unlikely. Orc leaders are coordinating with Sauron. Sauron is the explicit commander-in-chief of all orc armies. Sauron's will is directly controlling all orcs. Orc leaders are coordinating with Sauron. Again, the, the distinction between B and C, orc leaders are coordinating with Sauron, and Sauron is their commander-in-chief. Because not necessarily that they are taking orders. Like, they, they, are, they are not his subordinates. They are, you know, like, for instance, the way that the, the, the Goblin King, the way that the Great Goblin in film one was depicted as pretty much a free agent. You know, maybe... Right. He's been in, maybe Sauron's people have been in touch with him. If Sauron called, maybe he would answer and come and fight for him. But you don't 
it's hard to imagine the great goblin as he was depicted in film one, like kneeling and saying, yes, master, I shall obey your will, um, which is what I would think C would be. Um, so anyway, so that's what B would look like, I think, would be um, orc independent, otherwise independent orc leaders, um, coord- you know, doing what Sauron wants, but not not just being his minions sent out. Yeah. 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 And we were... This is when I still had hopes for Bulg. Yeah. Because I said B. Right. And it's not looking like it, but I'm not going to change it, so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think A is pretty well knocked on the head um, from the scene that you know, that orc that Thranduil captures, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and actually C seems indicated by that. It seems indicated, yeah. Seems indicated. Now, of course, that orc speaking in that one scene could be an outlier. Right. You know, some kind of fanatic or subset of fanatics. Um, But, you know, but yeah, it does... It does seem to be does seem to be leaning towards C. In fact, oh wait, what did I say? Oh yeah, I'm going to say C is the pretty much the presumptive answer at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Sorry, I forgot how strongly I should come down on that. See, I had already checked. checked. I had already yeah. checked on who answered. That's why I'm yeah. thinking it's C. Good call there, Laura. Yeah, actually, yeah, I'm thrilled because yeah. I actually finally have a, an answer that seems like it might be right. Yeah, that's like, true. They've not been it's not been very frequent for me either. Um, <laughs> Except I did get that one, which... Oh, yeah, the flashback. That's what it was, yeah. Obviously going to be a flashback. Oh, neener, Pretty neener, indication. Neener. Pretty pretty clear. Anyway, okay. Now our last, the final <laughs> riddle. What reason will we the have, Hobbit... Don't forget we have the conundrum to do. Ah, too, yeah, so that's true. we got to go through those quickly because we're, we're way past time here. What reason will the Hobbit desolation of Smaug give for Smaug's attacking and occupying Erebor? Um, it will expand upon the idea that Smaug's actions are the typical dragon pursuit of hoarded wealth. That is the book answer. B, it will give no further explanation beyond the vague reference to wealth in film one. Um, so they're just not going to talk about it at all in film two, is the B answer. C, he has a special interest in and desire for the Arkenstone for whatever reason. And D, he did it at the behest or command of Sauron. So it turns out that Smaug is an agent of Sauron all along, is basically what D means. Okay, and... Hmm. Did I really say A? (laughs) That's what it says in the grid. I have to say that A seems to me, objectively speaking, the likeliest answer. But it's obviously not the answer of maximal perspicacity and wisdom. Which would be C, right? Which would be C. <laughs> it goes without saying. Um, no, I said C because, again, I think this is all, it's all about the Arkenstone, man. I mean, I think it's the Arkenstone is is like the totem of this, and, you know, it's going to be... By the way, Scott, Scott has pointed out, and I did want to say that we did switch A and B. Yeah, we did. Um, because uh, I made a mistake when I put these up initially, that we've always had A to be the book answer. So on this form, I switched A and B. So if you had said A before, then you would be saying B now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, because we switched those two. Yep, we did. 
Okay, yeah. sorry. I just wanted to. So you were saying something about the Arkenstone? Oh, nothing important. Okay. Yeah, no, you know, it's fine. <laughs> yes, because it's... I don't, don't even need to expand upon it, because you'll see very soon how it will be the Arkenstone. But yeah, I just... So much focus is put on the Arkenstone. You know, I think that it's it's clearly not... The rest of all those huge piles of gold, you know, that's just like... It's just a distraction. It's just background. You know, it's all about the Arkenstone. <laughs> Actually, you know, Dave said B, and that actually could also be true, which is that they just simply take it as red that the dragon yeah. is there for the wealth, and they don't really well, say anything more about the it. The only problem with it being the Arkenstone is then how would Bilbo possibly get the Arkenstone? Because he just picks it up. Wouldn't Smaug have put it somewhere well, he, safer? He may not have the Arkenstone by the end. That's actually a good question we could have asked. Does he have the Arkenstone at the end of uh, film two? I mean, he may not pick up the Arkenstone until you know, film and three, that's what, the that's actually gone. That's actually what I think will also end movie two, is Bilbo picks up the Arkenstone. Hmm. While, the, while the dragon's off it. at uh, Erebor. Or uh, Eskaroth. I, mean. I think that would be a cool ending. Um, that nice? would be a cool ending. We end with, so Smaug dies, obviously. So we have Smaug's death, and then we have Mm -hmm. birds and bats flying hither and yon, spreading the word of his death. We see orc armies in motion. We see the Elven King mustering his men. We see Bjorn galumphing across the terrain, um, and all converging on the Lonely Mountain. We see Bard dripping wet, pulling himself out of the lake and rallying the lake men. (laughs) Then we cut back into the mountain to Bilbo. And we see him and finding and like picking an up the stone. Because or, in the book, aren't they all in the room at that point? Aren't all the dwarves kind of climbing the gold and he comes across the Arkansas and pockets it? Yes, I mean, but in the book, in the they don't know that Smaug is dead yet. Yes. And that's what I think oh, will happen right. in the that's movie, right. too. Yes. I don't think we'll, we'll know that yet. Right. Well, that's the whole, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, this whole question, this exact debate that we're having about where the ending should go, like, should there be suspense or should there not be suspense, essentially, about the death of the mm-hmm. dragon? It's exactly a choice that Tolkien made, too. He's fl- he flipped him. Um, that is, he, he originally had the death of Smaug, um, he, he swapped fire and water and not at home. They were in the opposite order. Mm-hmm. In the first oh, draft, and then right. he switched them. Um, so, anyway, that so that's that's you know that that was clearly a question in 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 Tolkien's mind as well. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see if that's the filmmaker's choice. We'll see. Yeah, Smile's gonna die. It's pretty obvious. But let's let's. <laughs> <laughs> let's I mean, seriously. I can pretend that this is an issue, but it's really not. Debriani's like, look into my eyes. You're going to well, see Of course, me. I can't. It, 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 it's like I could very well convince Brianna that he dies if he doesn't in the film. Oh, I mean, true. it's he not exactly that. like this is a this is a tenuous point of interpretation uh, necessarily. This is just me being <laughs> cocky. Um. Okay, Conundra, quickly. Will Bjorn be at the yeah, Battle right. of Dol Guldur? Yes. We have an even split here. <laughs> no, but I don't think the Battle of Dolgodur is going to happen. Um, yeah, that's true. It's not going to happen. So. Yeah. So whatever be... whatever skirmish I'm occurs at Dolgodur, and let's face it, the Lego people are probably right to think, 
a skirmish at Del Guldor was probably not a good name for the Lego set. You know, I gotta tell you. But anyway, <laughs> um, a minor confrontation, but not the full battle at Del Guldor. Yes. They should, they should let me title Lego sets. But anyway, um, that, so maybe Bjorn shows up there. Since, you know, you can attach the Bjorn uh, Del Guldor set <laughs> right to the edge of the other Del Guldor Lego set to make one big Del Guldor Lego set. That's right. So maybe can, Bjorn Can we will just show change up? that to, will Bjorn be at Del Guldor? Oh, yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And it would be appropriate for this movie. <laughs> The uh, the Lego set. Somebody wrote me and, and told me that the uh, or actually maybe on the on the comments they said that the dog the the ambush of Dog Goldor set has written you know Bjorn shows up at Dog Goldor and little does he know that orcs are laying wait for him and, you know to ambush him. So I mean they definitely imply on the Lego set that he's there on his own. Yep, exactly. So he may he may end up like lingering around and 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 the, the, you know he may come in to, like, help pull Gandalf's biscuits out of the fire at the end here in his first trip to Del Guldor, his first and foolishly non-Goadriel including trip to Del Guldor. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I do think that um, Bjorn is unlikely to be at the final battle of Del Guldor. Scott, Scott says, man, I'm starting to think you need a gag order to work at Lego. <laughs> <laughs> Probably do. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm I'm actually banking on this conundrum still being operative in movie two because I think the Battle of Golda is going to start but not finish in movie two. Okay. All right. I can see this. I can imagine. I don't think so, but maybe. <laughs> well, you've answered the same thing I have, so you should actually be agreeing with me. Okay. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, did Thrand give Gandalf the key in the map before the Battle of Azanul Bazaar? Um, uh, yeah. You no, said no. no. Everybody else said yes. Of course not. No, no, no. No. I mean, <laughs> I remember Dave's original theory ever so long ago in like our second episode ever, um, or maybe our first episode ever, when he was imagining, you know, uh, Gandalf coming and like, Thran having this like foreboding and like talking to Gandalf and telling Gandalf the night before the battle like here you take this. That was me. This. I did that. Was that you? I thought that was yeah. Dave. That was I was a I was a big proponent of that when I think I introduced that idea. Yeah. Well, anyway. coming into his tent at night before you know. Yeah. Small, Gandalf shows up in his tent at night before the battle and I you know just in case something goes wrong here take this. And yeah. I'm still I still like that. I don't necessarily know that it's the night before the battle, but I'm thinking it sometime before the battle as it goes on. And I don't, I'm hoping we find out because, you know, maybe they won't ever tell us how Gandalf got the key in the map, but I just can't believe they would do that. Just leave it hanging. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I think, uh, um, well, maybe we'll find out, um, in the, in the flashback at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, of course, we still have absolutely no explanation for how he came by the key in the map, and maybe that will never be explained. Yes. But yeah, and it, it just, seems like Thorin doesn't so know he has to it never either, explain it. because because of the look he gives Gandalf at the at the birthday party, yeah, where he yeah. doesn't say anything like, "Gee, how'd you come by this?" 
I know. I just think when did you so see weird. my dad again? Right. When was that? I was hoping that would be in the extended edition that at least Thorne would ask the question. He yes. doesn't even do that. Yeah. He just like yeah. takes it and goes, oh, okay. I was also kind of hoping we had missed some kind of explanation from the extended edition. I was kind of disappointed by that. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, will a black or white deer show up in Mirkwood as the dwarves cross the river? Unanimous agreement that a black or white deer will show up as the dwarves it's cross the river. attached to the book. Absolutely, yeah. That's, of course, it's not even necessarily to me obvious anymore that there's a river. Uh, but, That's right. um, as the river seems to be being replaced with mushrooms, which I think is actually okay. But, um, um, but anyway... If a black or white deer shows up, yeah, I'm still. I would still yeah. take it if a black or white deer showed up, um, and I am still, for the record, cheering for Thorin to shoot Thranduil's moose. Just saying, I still <laughs> hope that happens. <laughs> you shot my moose. Yeah, well, see, that's... I can even I see the word moose. I'm even not. I, don't I know. See, Trish, you've come so far. Yeah, you've come so far. <laughs> well, ever since ever since I looked up moose in the OED and found that the the definition of moose in the OED is an elk, you know, I stopped yeah. being worried about it. You can now defend it. Yeah, you exactly. really. It's like no, it's that's right. And because well, they don't have moose in Europe, so right and quantitatively funnier. Um, okay, will the word Adderkopper Tom Noddy be used by Bilbo in the spider fight in Mirkwood? Obviously, yes. There's no... And again, your co-hosts are attached to the book. They've got to. He's got to say at least one of those. Now, Laura originally wanted both words, and I said, no, no, let's just do one of the yeah. words. If even one of the words happens. I give I give a 75% chance of Adderkop and a 25% <laughs> chance of Tom Noddy. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's that my sense. that's that's where I'd place the odds on that. Um, uh, okay, will Toriel have feelings for Legolas? This is still unanswered, as you pointed out. Is, we have the implication is that him. Legolas does for her, but yeah, and I'm hoping no. I'm hoping that she. Dave's going trope on us. Dave's he trope-y. is. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He's got a wife in the industry, so he's know. got he's got likelihood on his side there i think but anyway let's let's hope for the best well bard of a personal grudge against the master of lake town e.g he cheated him out of his inheritance i certainly hope so um that would be awesome um yeah uh, basically you know remember that bard emerged very late in tolkien's imagination when writing the story and when he did he died i i mean um a lot of people don't realize this. You, you may remember the sentence in The Hobbit that says, and that was the end of Smaug and of Esgaroth, but not of Bard. Um, right. And in the original draft, he wrote, and that was the end of Smaug and of Esgaroth and of Bard. <laughs> and then he and he stopped there. And then he went back after a while and was like, no, wait, actually I've got a better idea. So he crossed out and of and said, but not. Uh, it's, I mean, and and then you know, Bard came back. Obviously, um, so when Bard emerges dripping from the lake, and everyone's like, "King Bard, King Bard," we now suddenly remember about Deo, and that he's the heir of Girion. Like that happens because that wasn't even true. In you know, it, it, it seems that the character of the dragon shooter didn't exist prior to the writing of the Fire and Water chapter, 
And since the survival of the dragon shooter wasn't originally conceived of either, the fact that he's going to go on and be the heir and, and, and become king is clearly a later development. In other words, this stuff all happens pretty precipitously in the book. It would make right, a lot of sense right, to me right. if it happened less precipitously in the film. And if we get the connections between Bard and Gyrion earlier on, and if, therefore, people know about it, because, again, it wasn't that long ago, so the Master of Lake Town would probably be fully aware of the fact. If there were a surviving um, heir of the old human dynasty in his town, he'd probably know about it, right? So, yeah, I'm thinking persecution. I'm I'm kind of holding out for just simply the Robin Hood kind of effect, you know, which is that he... Master is like a dictator and very corrupt, and you know the people are being uh, suppressed and whatnot. And he's basically a man of the people and fighting against like you know the master for that. So it's not necessarily personal, like personal family grudge, right? But just that it's you know wrongdoing, and he's trying to avenge, you know, or trying to at least be a, a you know a resisting force against the wrongdoing. So that's kind of the basis for my answer being no, right. I so that bar, no, my answer is no, like a Robin Hood type. Of yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. yeah. Well, Although I guess Robin Hood had a personal grudge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there's going to be a personal personal grudge. So. Yeah. Personal grudge plus okay. Robin Hood or like Robin Hood. Okay. Is, or yeah, the per- personal grudge that, that shows itself as a Robin Hood complex. Right. <clears throat> is Bog undead? Um, well, if Bog doesn't exist, then the default the, answer is... on screen. <laughs> I know, I told Corey that beforehand. I said we should change this. Is, does Bog exist? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and our answer would still be no. Uh, and also, can I say that the just as I can't really trace back my line of reasoning to the point where I began to weep over the potential absence of Bog, um, I, I, I can't imagine how I got to the point where I'm desperately hoping for a Zombork. Um, whereas, like, <laughs> if three years ago you had approached me and said, what would you think about undead orcs fighting in the battles? I would have been like, that is what? completely insane. That sounds like the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Ooh, Brianna has a really yeah, I, good question. Yeah, I should question. go back and listen to that Zomborg episode again because I can't remember the evolution of that. Well, I mean, it's just I find oh, the yeah. concept so funny that I can't resist it. And so it's purely my perverse sense of humor that makes me want to see a Zomborg. But you see, you can also see how through my perverse sense of humor, I am I am preemptively comforting myself because, you see, <laughs> zombie orcs would be a pretty big departure from Tolkien's world. But if I can console myself by finding it hilarious when it happens, <laughs> then I will be laughing instead of crying, and therefore yeah, yeah, all will be well. And Erica is challenging you to mention uh, the lack of Zomborgs in your <laughs> Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> the first time ever the word Zomborg has been used in the Wall Street Journal. I think that's and fairly safe to say. I'm sure they'll call you back a third year to do an article if you did if you did mention yeah. something. They're sure to call you back. Well, I mean, nothing could guarantee <laughs> it more than that. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but um, but yeah, yeah. As Yana points out, it started as an as an explanation um, for the right. name of the necromancer, and and that there is some likelihood that you know we got some there's some 
necro thing going on here, but well, I, don't know. I think we mentioned that Bolg. It looks like he's got like metal plates, you know, strips of metal, like tying his skull back together again. Wonderful. Uh, which also sort of brought that up, and the fact that Azog was thought to be dead, and maybe maybe the necromancer brought him back to life. So that was kind of where that whole thing started from. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. So it's it wasn't just heartwarming. Just a, it wasn't. It wasn't an action comics. <laughs> You know, we yeah. didn't like suddenly devolve. Right, into, right. You know. Yeah. Uh, but Brianna's back to Brianna's observation. Brianna's observation. Is this is an excellent. I wish it's, it's like a free bonus conundrum here that Brianna has suggested, which I think is great. Um, will we? Uh, will Smaug have a dream of a warrior killing him? The the uh, Turin dream. That's still my argument that it's Turin. Um, yeah, even though it doesn't mention, he doesn't say Turin in the book. Yeah, does it, but, yeah, but uh, no, no, he doesn't. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I think uh, that would be awesome. Um, I think it deeply unlikely. I agree with Brianna in thinking yeah. it very unlikely. But uh, boy, that would be awesome. I guess I'd have to predict no, but um, I know. But it would be sad. It'd be a sad no, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Now. It would be one of those things, you know. Like there are a couple things in the Lord of the Rings films, which like a couple things that I didn't expect them to do, which they did, and which therefore leads me to forgive, you know, five other things I dislike. <laughs> um, you know, so if they did that, it, that would be one of those things for me. Um, um, and, and by the way, it doesn't count if he does have a dream in the extended edition of Desolation of Smell. We're talking about the theater. Theatrical theater, release, so. that's right. Though yeah, I would still be and very Scott, happy. Scott does remind us. Do you remember last year when all those figures, the description of those figures, game figures came out, and there was a Turin the Dragon Slayer figure, which I find strange since there's no, they don't have the right to use the name. Yeah, but I remember that confused us last year when that came out. Well, it- Turin is mentioned in the Lord of the Rings. That's he? right. His name appears. Oh, is he? Lord oh, he is. That's right. That's right. He is mentioned. That's they right. They can use the name. That's right. Elrond. Yeah, that's right. They can use the name. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Talk about a loophole. Boy. He's, Boy, no kidding. Yeah. He's the great no elf friend. Yeah, his story Turin. totally untold. I think Elrond but... has his tongue firmly in cheek. When yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> see Gorfindel snickering behind his hand that. but anyway by the way quick segue here that uh, I don't know if you guys saw this but the Tolkien estate has shut down the Battle of the Gondolin fan movie oh well they, uh, gosh that's I know I shouldn't be surprised I can't right. even believe that I was happened. surprised they got as far as they did me too yeah. I mean, so apparently goodness. the filmmakers are going to go on and do another one I, they're just going to change the names I think right <laughs> the, the fall of the city not theater. named Gondolin Gondola. Oh, yeah, or or Gondorin. Gondorin, the fall of Gondorin. Starring Aorendo and and Tuil and. uh, And Truro. Yeah. Yeah, and. And my glum. They're not called orcs, they're called rocks. Yes. God has no yes yes Fothmog the Balrog yes exactly says Scott exactly it'll be <laughs> yep yeah absolutely Corfinel yeah yeah no relation any any so any good. any similarity between this film and any other story is purely in the they mind of the viewer they probably will they'll probably put a disclaimer up like that that's yep. right. 
absolutely no, coincidental. I was actually surprised it took as long as they did. Me I mean, too. I mean, it's, yes, that yeah. is that. I mean, and the thing is, I have to say, it's it's hard. Like, I I don't, I am not behind all estates stamping on of things. Yeah. But I have to say, you know, to some extent. I kind of have respect for their desires here. You know, I there are some Silmarillion stories I think would be cool too, but I have to say I myself would have twinge of twinges of conscience in going against the um the the estate on this. I mean they, they I don't know. I yeah. I just I I I'm I'm not uh, Well, I think they almost had to because think about the precedents it would set if they did. Well, of course they had to. Yeah. It. I mean once that once it became yeah. known I mean, there's no they have to send them. Yeah. Now they've just sent a cease and desist letter, right? So I mean, it's not—it's not like they've actually sued them or something. Um, no, but I think the filmmakers have uh, you know, voluntarily, you know. Yeah. Maybe this was the plan all along: was to name it the Fall of Gondolin to get like a lot of press and right. promo, and then sh- they knew they were going to get shut down eventually anyway. But at least now there'd be attention on their project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess I just, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I do. Um, it's hard. I, mean, I guess in part, I, I, I think part of the reason that I'm uh, that I feel this way is that with the Silmarillion stuff, much more so than the Lord of the Rings stuff, I kind of agree with Christopher Tolkien a little bit more here. That I think right, that right. most of the Silmarillion material would be really bad on screen, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I don't actually really look forward to seeing a lot of Silmarillion stuff. But um, yeah, you're right. I think there's just a few, you know, s- small pieces that would make. Brianna said she's done some um, concept art for the project. She says if she thinks they're making it enough original to make it okay, which yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. The Zilmarillion. <laughs> <laughs> the Zilmarillion, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I do. I do. Um, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I, I, I don't think... I do support, you know, the de- the desire... I mean, I do sympathize with the desire of, of fans and storytellers to keep doing it. I mean, in part, I feel like it's almost unfair, right? Because I feel like what I do, you know, like in writing my Hobbit book, what I'm doing, um, I, I think that there's a very... Um, at least potentially, not that I'm speaking for fan fiction writers, but I feel that potentially there's a close similarity to the impulse that drives someone to write fan fiction or to write a continuation or, or, or something like that. And what I do, you know, in like in my exploring the Hobbit book, you know, it is the desire of somebody else to enter into that world and to tell the story and to talk about it. And, um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, so I mean, I, I am in sympathy with that desire, the desire of people to do these things and to tell these other stories and um, and in some moods Tolkien was too, but um, yeah. well, well, I, I, I tend to think that, you know, like Born of Hope and mm-hmm. The Hunt for Gollum that they have but I like think those a, were both They, but yeah. I don't think that was a Tolkien estate, I think that was Sal Zayas that probably yeah. gave permission was. Zance, oh, yeah, they okay. gave permission for that they, didn't, sure give they, they give didn't give it permission, oh they didn't give it oh. No. Oh. no, well no. those were those were not not uh, theatrical releases, though, right? Right, exactly. They were just they're, internet releases. Um, yeah, they're not for The profit. other thing is, I, I also, I don't know if this is true or not, Corey, but let me test it with you. I, I almost, I've always thought that the Tolkien Estates stand on this now, the very digital black and white stand, is because of how Christopher feels that 
they've been trampled on by studios and slot machine makers and yes. you know they've just been so that if if it hadn't been for the experience that they've had with the studios and the big business yes. they might be a little bit more willing to work with fans yeah, I mean, but there's yeah. just this bad at the same time though I mean from the beginning before any of that stuff happened oh, really? you had Christopher okay. saying I think that the Lord of the Rings yeah. is very ill suited to depiction in a visual medium right. and I think that this whole project is a bad idea um, now it's certainly true that you know whatever discomfort they had with it I, I think it would be hard to any even even among people who love the films I think it would be hard if the Tolkien estate were to say look what has happened you know the slot machines and everything as a result of the sale of the Lord of the Rings rights we're not going right. to do that with the Silmarillion um, right. you know we will not have that happen um, and you know it would be hard for me to argue against that I think that I mean that's yeah. it's 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 difficult because you know again people love the films but there's more to it than the films you know and uh, if you look at all of the merchandising and everything else that has happened it's um yeah, the, the Denny's menu, as Scott points out, you know, I mean, yes. all of that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, it's again, although I don't agree with all of the comments, as I've said before, I don't agree with all the comments that Christopher Tolkien made in his Le Monde interview more recently. Um, you know, I don't agree with him that the that the films have reduced the philosophical impact of the Lord of the Rings to zero. I, 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 I don't think that's accurate of the films, nor do I think it's certainly true of the phenomenon as a whole. However. It's not that I can't see his point. I mean, I, I see what he's yeah. seeing, and well, to see the to see that, the to see that the Silmarillion gets similar treatment. I mean, imagining imagining a Denny's menu, a Silmarillion themed Denny's <laughs> menu, makes me want to hang myself. You know, like seriously, imagining like Navlamir, the Navlamir stack, right? Or, you know, like that, you I know, think that would be so awesome. Everyone, but everyone should know about the Silmarillion. Mandos's waffle pile and you know the, the Mormagil soup the the, the Tolkis beefy skillet you know I mean ales black and chicken <laughs> Yamana's tears that's the latest alcoholic yeah Exactly. I mean, I but just, you know, I, I yeah. will say this. I will say this, and this is a great venue to share because I thought I need to say this to somebody somewhere. Last week, remember, I told you I was watching that chat room, the chat, the distracting chat room on the Google Hangout, and I gotta say, uh, kudos to the folks who followed Corey and follow Riddles in the Dark because I do honestly think that y'all are in the minority. Some of the comments on that chat room thing were so banal and so silly and they were like Legolas I love you oh <laughs> I mean just like oh my god I I didn't see anything in there that was even remotely intelligent I'm sorry to say and actually I had put a question through my question had been you know um having watched the extended edition and understanding kind of how true to the book you're trying to stay, what was your reasoning for putting uh, orcs and, and elves in Lake Town? Oh my god. I mean, after seeing the questions that they picked, I was so off base with the demographic. I mean, they were asking questions like, one of the questions they got asked was, who liked to play pranks on each other? Who was the biggest plank, prank player on the set? You know what I mean? It's like, that's, and that's kind of, t to your point, Corey, I mean, those, that's the fan base for the, for the movies, truthfully, the majority right. of the fans. 
I and the folks that are on this call are, are minority. You know, I mean, I, well, I still think it's a minority, though. I think there's really a lot of people who have read the books. I mean, there's always going to be people who are just not serious about anything. But there are going to be people who saw the books or who saw the movies and got curious and then read the books. Well, I do. I mean, I do think there's going to be, and I know there's people that did that with the Lord of the Rings movies, and I do, but I still think that's a smaller number than the, you know, the people, the vast majority, or by the same token, it could simply be that the movie studio is catering to those idiots, you know, to the idiots among the fan base, and maybe the fan, those those idiots are the minority, but anyway, it was just kind of like an eye-opener for me, because it's like, geez, I'm so used to having fairly erudite conversations about the movies, oh, Legolas, oh, and the bard, oh, I think... You know, Luke Evans is so hot. Oh, God. Right, right. Oh, But back to it. And Callie on the black maple syrup. Love it. I love Trish, it. Trish, that was me. Oh. <laughs> oh, you did? No, that wasn't. <laughs> she did actually say that in a digest. That's true. Laura's deeply offended by the way you've been I'm characterizing sorry. her here, Trish. But at least you're, at least you, at least you're, you know, I mean, the but none of those guys would ever come up with ale bla- ales black and chicken. None ales black and chicken. Chair. Boy, that would be worth it, though. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah. That would be. And I love this. And Caligon I would black love to see that. I would go to that restaurant. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I would, too. <laughs> I would, too. Yeah, it is way too thoughtful. I mean, that was... And, that and, was... and Yana, I agree with you. I mean, Yana's saying in Europe, he met so many Tolkien fans that loved the books because of the movie. And in fact, I mean, I, a lot of my fellow Mythgard students are that way. That they actually came to the books as from the movies and are now actually pursuing Tolkien studies. As Absolutely. A, you know, and, as an yeah. academic and that's, and that's the core of my disagreement with Christopher yeah. Tolkien's yeah. comments. Right. You know, I think he's totally off base on that. And, and I am, I mean, and honestly, I suspect he's ignorant of it because he doesn't interact with fans. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't. Yeah. I think, I think that's the tragedy. People. Frankly. Yeah. I think he's um, just become so walled off, you know, I mean, I think he's just kind of like, despaired and walked away from it all so he doesn't even have the opportunity to, to engage with the fans which, which I, I can understand but I do yeah. I mean, I, I'm sad because I think he would find it very fulfilling frankly if he could do yeah. it but I, it's not going to happen I mean and I understand why he doesn't so anyway yeah. where were we okay we're almost done <laughs> after I took us off on that our, our bulg undead question is what spawned this entire ah, like right. long okay. thing yes. um, but anyway um, okay uh, very quickly because I'm um, I got. I'm gonna. You have to go. Right I really go gotta to, go. Yeah. Okay. Will Smog show up in the first five minutes of the movie? Yes. Yes, he will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dave Clear. says no, but the rest of us say yes. Dave says no. That's pretty uh, wrong, but good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when we first met Bard, does he know he is the heir of Giri? I, I, I got. I got to remember to have my stopwatch out, though. You know, when we start the film, to make sure that yeah, right, wrong. first five minutes. That's right. Um, yeah. When we first met Bard, does he know he is the heir of Girion? Yes, yes, because it's part of the personal grievance that he has uh, with the the Master of Lake Town. Does Bilbo use the ring with Smaug? Yes, and this we saw eventually. We actually did see it in the production. That, I think, has been answered. The other production movie uh, has, I think, answered that one. Does Thorin send Bilbo into Smaug's den specifically for the Arkenstone? Yes, because... Now, I must say, this was a prescient question. Because yes. we asked this question before we saw anything, and I, this is the one question I wish I could change to a yes, because I, he does, doesn't he, from what we've mm-hmm. seen. Um, yeah, yeah. That, um, well, it's not totally clear, As Scott Farmer, but... that master burglar is why you are here. Well, that's what he says. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. 
Well, you yeah. said yes, Laura, so you should I did be say yes. It's all, <laughs> it's all about the Arkenstone. I'm Arkenstone. telling you. That's okay, that could be that's came. the alternate title that's, for this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, here my 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 initial and I'll I'll say this so because I'm I'm I I I believe very strongly that I'll be very surprised if this does not turn out to be true, but I want to make sure that I say it before you know I've seen the film. I think that this is going to be the main way that they're turning the burglar thing because they've got to make the burglar thing make sense. And as right. much as I love what Tolkien does with the burglar theme in the book, it doesn't make sense. They don't need a burglar, and that's it's almost it, it becomes a com- almost comical um, at the you know when they get there, they're like, okay, now we're here with our burglar. Now what? Bilbo calls them on it, right? What did you expect a burglar to do? I wasn't hired to kill dragons. I was hired to steal treasure. I've done what I'm supposed to. Do. If you don't like it, then you should rethink your whole stupid plan because there was no point in hiring a burglar here. And 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 it's kind of true. It's it's you know, and so Tolkien takes that and turns it in a different direction. Um, in the second half of the book, and especially in the last quarter of the book, but, um, but nevertheless, in the film, it's been thir- you know they had a contract for a burglar drawn up for the beginning. Why did they want a burglar? Um, and I think it's the Arkenstone they've had in mind all along. The dwarves have had in mind all along, um, and because with the introduction of the you know greatly increased significance of the Arkenstone, um, we actually have. Justification for a burglar. That's that's burgle that's burglable, which is a hard word to say. But that's burglable, whereas the entire horde of Thror is not burglable. Right. Um, and also, so, we're so, setting yeah. up the issue that's going to lead to the Battle of Fywar, or lead to Bilbo and Thorin having a problem in the third right. movie. Exactly. The so, is, you know, you needed to introduce that whole thing. Yeah, so the fact that Bilbo takes it is then not going to just look like random larceny on Bilbo's part, which it is. Again, he sees the shiny jewel and he's like, hmm, I like it. He takes it because he wants it. At first, he's drawn to it, uh, at first in the book. But um, he... so the fact that he's... If he is set up to... You know, that he's supposed to go in and steal it, and then just basically is going to have to lie about it. Oh, no, I haven't seen it. I'll keep looking, you know. Right. Definitely keep my and, eyes and peeled. consciously takes it knowing what it is. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But see, the thing is, is that in the film, therefore, unlike in the book, he takes the Arkenstone with no future plans of benevolence um, when he first takes the Arkenstone um, in the book. And as I said in, in my Exploring the Hobbit book, there is at that moment... You know, when you're in chapter 15, there is a very real possibility, like one of the paths that this story could very easily go down is a tragic one. You know, one of, you know, bloodshed and betrayal and backstabbing. Um, Because that kind of division, Bilbo stealing the thing that Thorin values most, most knowing that he values it and holding it back, uh, not again for any good purpose, but because he wants it for himself. That boy, that could go bad really quickly. Yeah. Bilbo breaks out of that. He makes so that it's what makes in the book his choice to give up the Arkenstone so much more significant. In the film, though, I think his uh, so so again when he takes it in when he originally takes it in the book, he's not planning it for future good. In the film. I think maybe we can suspect he is going to be taking it for future good. Yeah. He already sees Thorin going going right. off the edge. Bonkers. And so right. he takes and is like, maybe giving it to Thorin would be a bad idea. Maybe I should That's hang on I'm and thinking. see what happens. Not that he's necessarily planning the whole bard thing at that point. 
explicitly. But. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I think it's I think Thorin is starting to scare him, and he's like, ah, yeah. this is the one thing he's like ranting about. Maybe I should need to hold on to it for a while. Right. If I give this to yeah. him, is he just going to be? Is 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 that going to be the end? You know, is that going to push him right. off right. to? Right. You know, to, so right. so yeah, I. I um, now you know all of those specific things are are not necessarily. I mean, I think those things are likely. I'm not, but what I do think, what I am solidly predicting, what I very much expect, is that the focal point of the burglary is going to be about the Arkenstone. Arkenstone. And yeah. again, if that does happen, see now here I'm going to be doing analysis of this in advance before I see it. Just as I have it in my imagination, my analysis of the thing which I have just imagined is, that, <laughs> <laughs> which is really the easiest kind of thing to analyze when you think about it. But uh, the, the that, my analysis of this thing that I've imagined is is that it would be another example, and it's one of the reasons why I expect it. It would be another example of, it would fit with the pattern of the way that they're reading the themes of the Hobbit really carefully to see that the Arkenstone does in fact become the cornerstone and the, the, the culmination of the burglary motif um, mm-hmm. in, in, mm-hmm. in the book. So for them to take that and say, okay, wh- let's put that in fact at the heart of the burglary story from the beginning seems to me like exactly the kind of thing that I would expect Philip Boyens and Peter Jackson to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with that, All right, we're well, done. Speaking of ends, yes. yes. Speaking of ends, we best send you on your way. Yep, yep, yeah. I should go. Um, so thanks everybody. Well, we will for be back us. to do. We will be back to do a, a, a end. You know, after the fact, probably after the holidays. So this yeah. isn't necessarily the last, 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 but it is the last before. Yeah, and we'll see. We'll see if we can hold back until until you know after Christmas. It might end up being before. Yeah. Because we are going to have, um, and well, we definitely want to do something after after the judges have made their decisions. Yes. So you know, yes. we'll work with, I'll be working mm-hmm. with the judges uh, after Myth Mood, and and then we'll schedule the time. So it might be right; it might be before New Year's, but okay. Yeah. All right. Bye. Oh, bye, Scott. Scott's been very, <laughs> very. Uh... <laughs> oh, you're welcome, Erica. It's been fun. Everybody's been thanking me. That's been sending in the their answers for yes. a great year. So thank you guys for listening. Yes, this will be fun. So now I feel I feel fully equipped equipped to go see the the movie tonight. <laughs> and take yeah. take your take this form with you take now. The so you mark your yeah. Take the scorecard with you. That's right. Yeah, they'll probably okay. they'll probably throw me out. They'll probably think I'm like bootlegging something. No, I'm just <laughs> filling out my score sheets <laughs> so that I can forearm myself from making invidious arguments for Brianna to tell her how to decide. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so thanks everybody, and uh, we will be back in touch soon. I hope that uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that you know the movie is at least half as awesome as all of our speculations about it as, oh, as these all these fun stories we've been we've been making up for ourselves. So yeah. Anyway, thanks everybody. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.